BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. This is Speedball Mike Bailey. You're listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yes. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get-go, boy Yeah, from Tampa Bay to the Tokyo Dome This is Keeping It Strong Style With your host, Jeremy Donovan And the young boy, Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The ace of podcasts on the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here with the young boy Josh Smith and Dr. Joshi James Boyd from One Nation Radio. On today's show, we'll review the semifinals and finals of G1 Climax 32 and cover all this news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping a strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating interview. You can also get all the podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tees store, ProWrestlingTees.com slash Social Suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting SocialSuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. This episode is brought to you by the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com. With features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit NJPWEXT.us today for details. And James, it's glad to have you back on the show. It's been quite a time, some time since we've had you on Keeping a Strong Style. Is it really a good one when you still call me Dr. Joshi? I almost blew up that whole entire intro you did and you say like, no, no, start the shit over. Don't do this. We're not going through this. I left it alone because I know that's what you do. But yeah, uh, it has been a minute. But um, yeah, I'm glad to be here. Glad to be here. I, um, I've i missed New Japan Pro Wrestling. Like, I don't, I don't mean that like to be funny. Like, 
I mean, I, I, I do this every so often. I think about like the best matches I've ever seen. And like at this point, over half of them have came from like at the very top have came from this promotion. I've only been watching 2015. And like, I felt guilty, like not watching the G1 last year. And then like this year, I had, you know, taught myself into like watching it. And then I was, and then like time went by and then, you know, the show started adding up and I was like, you know what? No, I got some time. Let's, let's throw away half a week, just binge watching the G1 and catching up. And I, you know, I really enjoyed the time. Obviously there were times where, you know, there were lows, of course, there's the, the Plale low, there's the Yano low, there's the usual low. Um, but like, I really enjoy what I saw. Um, most of basically match after match and like i uh i don't think outside of the shingo match shingo and osprey there was anything that was like some match the year type of contender but like i thought it was good ass wrestling for most of the cards and like i thought that uh the closing stretch the closing week last week was um in the g1 was sensational yeah uh we're really glad to have james here and uh you know if you guys don't know he is the co-host of one nation radio uh, essentially the flagship of this podcast network, the longest running show on the network. And, uh, you know, my feeling has always been that we'd have you and Rich on more often, but, you know, like you mentioned in the past couple subsequent years with the pandemic and everything else going on with new Japan, you know, it seems like not only your guys, but a lot of people's viewership has kind of gone down. So when I, when I heard that James was doing one of his G1 binges, I was like, this man's crazy. He's, he's watching the entire G1 in like a weekend that's got to be for something. We got to have him on keeping it strong. Like this, this is our opportunity. Wow. Well, I appreciate the the invite. Yeah, I, I don't understand why you won't um, embrace Doctor Joshi. I mean, like that's who you are, bro. <laughs> because I only watch Stardom like really hardcore, consistently. Where I watch everything, and then everything else is like I'll watch like you know seedlings, cork and halls, or if Ice Ribbon. I uh, have something interesting or Tokyo Yoshi Pro Cork and Halls and Big Shows. Like I'm not I'm not watching. There's like there's like 15 promotions. Like I only I only dabble in the others in, in, in the hardcores. I keep it light with stardom. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just saying like it's in a, it's it's factually incorrect to say I'm Dr. Joshi when I only really watch for real one promotion. Everything else I'm kind of just like in and out dipping my toe in. So should, like, it, be, should it be it, Dr. Stardom then? It should be no doctor at all. <laughs> you, you know where I'm, not a, I'm not. A, I'm not like it, you're adding. If I'm, I'm objecting to Doctor Joshi, I'm, object, I'm objecting to it all. Like if this is your fun little pet name because I'm the guy that watches Japanese women's wrestling. Like yeah. and I and I and I deal with it. I let you and I let y'all bully me in this sense. But outside of that, like it, it doesn't hold up to any kind of real like object so, scrutiny or uh, or whatever observation. Where it came from was, I remember I was watching uh, or listening to Observer Radio, or not radio, um, what's it called? Daily or whatever? Uh, uh, live, live. Live. The radio show. Yeah, Wrestling Observer Live. And radio. they used to have um, Dr. Lucha come on. So yeah. Like, yeah. And, and so then one day I was like, man, the only person in our group that really knows anything about Joshi is James. Dr. Joshi. <laughs> if they got Dr. Lucha, we got Dr. Joshi. It doesn't really matter if you actually are the most knowledgeable Joshi expert out there. Relatively not even speaking, close. not even are close. within. Yeah, but within our group, you are. So you're Dr. Joshi. <laughs> yeah, but but the thing is, right? Like you guys are. Um, I would say far more, um, far more recognized 
and have far more credibility and know more of far much more of the history of New Japan Pro Wrestling or uh, All Japan Noah in general, right? Than like I do in Joshi. So like when you guys call me that and then like put it out like on. They don't know if you're. They don't know that you're being sarcastic. So like, I don't. Want, I don't want people. I don't want people in the Joshi circles that like I I I talk to and they like me a little bit. Like to to all of a sudden be like, he's not the Joshi. I just sent him X Y and Z from like 15 years ago to let him learn some shit. What? How the hell is he, Doctor Joshi? I'm Doctor Joshi. Why? And they backlashing me. I don't want that smoke. That's you know what I'm called, saying. That's called continuing education, my guy. All right. <laughs> Okay. A doctor never stops learning. That's the deal. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's debatable depending on our America, our, our healthcare system, but you know, I, I get I get what you mean. I get what you mean, yes. Oh, oh man. man, well, we got tons of stuff to talk about, and it's great that we have James because there is some news about the historic crossover show at New Japan and stardom. Some matches have been announced as far as and the IWGP committee. Yeah, the committee has determined the plans to crown the first IWGP Women's Champion, so we'll talk about that a little bit later. But let's uh, dive into the G1 here. So we're going to be talking about Night 19 and Night 20, the last two nights that had the semifinals and the finals. So we'll kind of run through the undercards um, and kind of get to the main matches. There are a couple questions on some of the undercard stuff, but... We'll just answer those. We won't really give, you know, in-depth analysis on these undercard matches. So, uh, night 19 was August 17th in the Nippon Budokan. The show opened up. We had the chaos team of Goto, Tomohiro Ishii, Yo, and Yoshihashi defeating the Suzuki-gun team of Doki, Lance Archer, Takamichi Noku, and Yoshinobu Kanemaru. Six minutes and 24 seconds. Following that, we had Dangerous Techers of Taichi and Zack Sabre Jr. They defeated the Team Filthy team of Royce Isaacs and Filthy Tom Lawler, 8-54. We had a question here from Unrelenting Ego. With Jay White and Will Ospreay as top gaijins, can you see ZSJ establishing himself as a main eventer anytime soon? Had a great G1, but those two are obviously positioned above him. Plus, there's Jonah, who looks set for a decent push, too. Where would you position him going on? Hmm. Um, I mean, the thing is, is like, to a certain extent, he already is a main eventer. Um, I think what he's probably meaning is like a consistent, like top six level guy, which, you know, he's not quite there. I would call him like a tip top upper mid card level guy. He's not that different right now in his slotting from where you would traditionally have seen Minoru Suzuki be in the past, you know, a guy that could easily hold like a. Uh, second tier title and can credibly challenge for the main title, but isn't really in the plans of the company to be the champion at this time. Um, is there a chance that he could break through that ceiling down the line? Sure. But I mean, as far as answering like where I think he should be, I mean, there's only one place for him to go. He's already like brushing up against that, that ceiling as is. So, I mean, the only other place you could either slot him is, above or down i think for now he's where he probably needs to be yeah i I agree with that i mean zach is a great wrestler and i think this year especially i guess towards the end of last year we've seen this kind of uh you know push towards more of a, a tweener zach you know he's cutting more promos in japanese he's been getting a lot of great uh fan reactions and 
you know, the, the big matches with Okada. He had the, the match with Shingo at the end of last year in the G1 and at um, Power Struggle. So they've definitely kind of tested the waters of him in that title contention top position. But like uh, I don't think Eagle mentioned, yeah, there is Jay White, there is Will Ospreay. And there's only so many guys that they're going to kind of push, you know, foreigners that they're going to push in that top mix. But I think Zach is a guy that can easily at any point kind of call in and get him ready for a main event spot. James, what are your thoughts? I'm with you. He's the upper mid Carter. Um, like, it, or you have, you want to say like whatever the bridge is between mid card and uh main event, consistent main event. Like he is someone that you can throw in the main event uh, for a title shot once or twice a year. And, uh, and you could do that. And like, you could have him always in a running to win a block and be in a final for G1. He may even win a G1 one year. He may even win. Uh, he may even, you know, main event a Tokyo Dome against, you know, a Naito or something like that, like one of these days, right? But uh, this is kind of where he is. And this is a really good slot. Like, this is ha- this has happened a lot over, you know, the, us, you know, watching pro wrestling um, around the world. And, like, when there's just, like, a, a, a top number of or a good number of really good people at the top, it's hard to break through and not everybody's going to get in, in a well-booked company. Not everybody's going to get their quote unquote turn with the belt uh, to be the person that the main event shows. Uh, and like he may get it. And I would like it if he did. Cause like, I think that he brings something definitely different um, to the table compared to a Jay White and Osprey from the guy's perspective. Uh, but uh, I think he's in a spot where like he enjoy, he can pretty much wrestle who he wants to and he can enjoy what he's doing. Um, so like, I think that, um, if you're a, a really big, uh, ZSJ fan, you could be frustrated, but there aren't many lots in life worse than being where his position is in new Japan. Mm. One thing I will say, and then we can move on. The fact that he's teaming with Tai Chi again is probably a key indicator about what's going to happen moving forward. Considering that, you know, tournament season is over and we got a world tag league on the horizon. Yeah, definitely got to have some bodies to fill that tournament. So after that match, we had the TMDK team of Bad Dude Tito and Jonah defeating the Great Bad Shield team of Togemakabe and Tomioka Hanma. Then the Bull Club team of Bad Luck Fale, Chase Owens, and Rock Hard Juice Robinson defeated the United Empire team of Aaron Hanare, Great Okan, and Jeff Cobb at 647. Then the Bull Club team of El Fantasmo, Evil, Kenta, and Yujiro Takahashi defeated the LIJ team of Bushi, Hiromu, Sonata, and Chinko Takagi at 9 minutes and 50 seconds with the big key here of uh, Phantasmo kind of getting one over on Chingo once again. And we had a question here from the Dark Soldier. Do you feel Phantasmo not being junior heavyweight champion was a wasted opportunity? Hmm. I mean, um, only in, in as much as it was that Shingo wasn't the junior champion, you know, um, I don't think everybody that is in that division needs to necessarily hold that title. Uh, am I surprised that they never, you know, pulled the trigger on that? I am a little bit, but, um, you know, for whatever reason, that's not what they decided to do, just like they didn't with Shingo before they called him up. Right, and I think the thing, you know, we talk about with people who have never been world champion, I think it's kind of the same thing. You know, not everybody needs to be the champion that makes the title special. So, like you mentioned, having a guy like Shingo who literally wrecked everyone in that 2019 Super Juniors and he never won the title 
it makes it special. A guy like El Fantasma, who's been performing so well and had a you know a pretty good G one, and now it's a heavyweight. He didn't win a junior title. It, it makes it special. So I get like, people like Chingo and ELP and a lot of these juniors, but I think it makes a belt special when not everybody has had it. One other thing too, sometimes when you hold that title, it becomes albatross. It marks you as a junior. And if you don't hold it, maybe it's just a stopgap. Right. Uh, so then following <laughs> that, we had uh, David Finley. But James, Nagy, if you don't want to roll with it, go ahead. Did you have anything to say, to say on that one? Oh, I was pretty much going to say my part where I'm pretty much in agreement with you guys. Uh, like, I think of other, you know, promotions and like it, on the way up, I, you kind of want to sh- take people's paths along different routes. So, like, if you give L- ELP like the same accolades as like a Shingo or a or not a Shingo or like like a Will Osprey, it kind of feels very samey. So you kind of want to you know have people achieve certain things, but not everything, but also show the progression of them. You know, get, getting to heavyweight. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so following that match, we had Dave Finley, Hiroshi Tanahashi, Kushida, and Toriyano defeating the Bullet Club team of Doc Gallows, J.Y., Carl Anderson, and Taiji Ishimori. Yano once again getting a win over Doc Gallows. Then we, <laughs> <laughs> then we move on to the semi-final matches. So in the semi-main event spot, we had the winner of the A block, Kazuchika Okada, Defeating the winner of the B block, Tamatonga, 19 minutes and 8 seconds. What do you guys think about this matchup? Um, James, why don't you go ahead first? Well, I, I was messaging you about um, watching this particular G1 and comparing it to previous um, G1s out of someone like Tamatanga, like I'm thinking of 2018 in particular. And like, it's night and day, obviously because of the, the uh, hill face change thing. And um, this is somebody that I thought like was f- very frustrating at times um, earlier on uh, because this is a philosophy on what it is to be a, a bad guy. Um, and compare that to him as a baby face and like all the stuff I had complaints about, like it's thrown out the window and like, you get to see this dude just be like, see him after you've seen him run the, run the ropes and, and move around the ring, thinking that he's a very talented athletic dude, seeing him actually, actually put it together in the way that he wants to as a, as a good guy. Like that was, that was really fun for me. Um, and I think like the way he sets up his matches uh, are very like Westernized um, in, in a traditional sense. And like, it, for me, like I wished it, you know, I was saying to Josh, like if he was, if he was 10 years younger, like, and I was triple H, like I, I just try to steal him. I, I just try yeah. to coach him. I, I just back up the, the, the back up a truckload of money. Cause like he has everything. Like he's super mm-hmm. charismatic. He he's uh, he, he has a great look, great physique, great gear. Um, good looking offense, like everything. And, and like, he has his stuff, his stuff crafted where like, you know, what's coming and everything. And he works off the pattern of that. And like, he tells the story of a baby face setting up everything. Like he is a perfect WWE fe wrestler right now except i you know the only th- concern would be the age thing so um, i i will he'd be a dream to have if you're wwe if, if you're also like um uh from the perspective of your triple h and you're trying to find something new right now at this time to try to you know get the eyes of like people that are under 50 to, to watch american pro wrestling program so uh <laughs> so i wasn't um so i was really impressed by the dude because like i always thought like he was talented but there was just something missing but the really thing was just like he was sandbagging because he's a heel um but like i really enjoyed it and i love that 
I felt like the whole match was based around like, you know, every everybody in the building, everyone watching knows Okada is going to win. And that dude had to fight and fight and stave off as long as he could and and left everything out there and ultimately lost. And like I feel like throughout this whole entire tournament, like he gained the respect more and more of the fan bases while watching him. Like I really love like the goofy uh, match he had with, with Taichi as well. Where over the over the iron claw, like it's just like I'm I'm a good guy now. It's not even just like some play thing like it was a couple years ago. Like I'm legitimately a good guy now. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I um I don't remember the full extent of the story, but when uh, Guns and Gallows and uh, Nakamura and AJ Styles all jumped to WWE, they were trying to get Tamatonga to go with them, and I think under the mm-hmm. under the like uh. The idea that like the the bullet club or the club is jumping together, you know, mm-hmm. and I can't remember what happened. It, I feel like maybe it was Haku stepped in or mm. someone from New Japan, you know, uh, sat him down and like talked to him. But at that time, he was considered kind of like an underling, you know, he was just kind of he wasn't really I wouldn't call it a, a young lion, but he was sort of like one of the subordinated pin eaters in bullet club and he had a lot of potential at the time and he ended up not going and you know that probably worked out better for him i i assume <laughs> in the long run but uh, yeah they tried to get him al- already back all, all the way back then like eight years ago but um yeah this match is uh easily the best singles match of tamatanga's entire career and you know um Three of those matches that he has sitting at the top, they're all with Okada. You know, he had the little series with him in the G1 and then afterwards last year. And I think they outdid themselves here again this time. And, uh, you know, I think a, a lot of the story really kind of revolved around like this guy has, you know, he's a he's an underdog in this situation. And it's kind of unique because all throughout the G1, he's on this crusade to avenge himself against Jay White in the Bullet Club. And he did that. So afterwards, it's like, okay, well, what's next? And it's like he's in a babyface, babyface match. Totally different dynamic from what his whole entire, you know, story arc was within the tournament. And he kind of only has one hope, and it's to hit the, the gun stun. And if he hits the gun stun, he can win. And if he doesn't, I don't know what he really is going to be able to do with this guy. And so it's a huge struggle for him to just land that magic punch essentially to try to knock out Okada and ultimately like down the stretch, they, they worked their chemistry and had all these back and forth, back and forth. And then he did hit the gun stun and it's like, Oh my God, he, he might do it. Yeah. That but, was, that was a pretty crazy spot. And I felt like the crowd too, you know, they kind of forgot yeah. the, the no cheering rule and they kind of were like busting. Yeah. They're like, Oh my gosh. Like he hit yeah. him with a gun. He reversed the rainmaker, hit him with the gun stun. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> well, because yeah, the, for most, the, the crowd totally believed it, totally believed it was happening. Yeah, because for most of the match, you're you're thinking this guy has no hope, you know, and you're just hope you're hoping he just has a great match, you know. You're hoping, you know, I hope he has fun out there. And it's like, <laughs> oh shit, <laughs> oh shit, he might do it. And you know, they build the drama. They get they they literally were able to turn the crowd into thinking like, hey, he beat Jay White, he won the block. Who knows? And ultimately, he still doesn't win. But uh, this was a great showing for both guys, really. Yeah, I think it was kind of a great, you know, follow-up from the match they had last year in the G1 where Tama got the win. A lot of that was kind of played up here in this matchup. And also, he was looking for that 
double underhook pile driver, that J driller that he used to beat Okada last mm. year. That was something that he was looking for along with the gun stun. There's a lot of great counters kind of back and forth uh, in this matchup here. And Okada had to pull out, you know, his new, you know, the 50th year finishing combo where he hits the, the Inoki uh, Inseguri and then he does, he does the Cobra Flosion into the Rainmaker to uh, put Tango away. But, I thought there was a lot of great reversals, a lot of great sequences, and these guys had a great chemistry. The, the crowd was buying the near falls. And, you know, we know the New Japan uh, fans get behind underdogs, and they really wanted uh, to see, you know, Tamatanga kind of pull this one up on Okada because, you know, there are, there are some fans that, you know, the whole, you know, LOL Okada wins and wants to see, see Okada lose. And so I'm sure a lot of those are hoping that Tam was going to be able to pull it out. But the Rainmaker succeeds, hits that Rainmaker towards the end there after the Cobra Flosion gets the win and advances to the finals. Yeah. And, um, you know, that was a match I thought was very, very good. I could have gone anywhere from like four to four and a quarter. I think I went four and a quarter on it. What'd you imagine? Yeah, I went, I went four and a quarter. Yeah. Very impressed. As you mentioned, like this is the best, uh, time of talking match I've ever seen. So then, uh, following that main event of the evening for the other, Final spot, we had the C block or the D block winner, Will Ospreay, defeating the C block winner, Tetsuya Naito, 20 minutes and 23 seconds. First time ever matchup, and Will gets the win. Yeah, this match just freaking ruled. Um, you know, and not to contrast and compare, but not only was this better than the other semifinal, this was better than 90. 7% of the tournament. I mean, it was easily and firmly in the top three matches of the entire tournament as, you know, just overall. And it kind of reminds me of like what the quote unquote golden period that we just experienced of, of you know, in the past few years of New Japan was like, where like a, a block finalist or, you know, um, one of the semifinal matches could be a true match of the year contender. That's the kind of range we were in with this, where these guys went out there and it was like, damn, they're really doing this. Like <laughs> they're, they're trying super hard to have an incredible match. And, and they did. So you want my opinion on this match, right? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> That's why I, you're on the love, show. <laughs> I love this match. I have not enjoyed a night till match this much since like 2019's G1 is match against Shingo. I don't like, I think sometimes um, Naito, because of the injuries and also his motor can run on or off, depending on the mood he, he has or whatever else. Like, I, you know, I think that his his performance has been up and down throughout the years, to say the least, to say the least. Um, but like, I thought this dude wrestled his ass off and he was in there. And like, quite frankly, uh, throughout this tournament, I thought like this is the most inspired he's wrestled in a while that I've seen. And I, I quite, I really thought that he was just going to win this tournament. That's because I was like, why else was he, why the hell, why the hell is he right. working so hard? And then when, uh, you know, um, they, you know, the Stormbreaker gets uh, countered into a makeshift Destino, one of my favorite uh, moves in the business, like him just uh, in desperation comes up with some creative way to hit a makeshift Destino. I was like, okay, Naito's winning this thing. He, he, you know, he's uh, he. True professional wrestling clinic he put on targeted the bad the dudes with the bad neck just targeted his neck over and over and over again uh, top row Ronald dropped him right on his neck great he you know he he did he did he did what exactly what he's supposed to do and then and then like 
Osprey came back and I was just like, I can't believe, I, you know, they got the upset <laughs> bump for me, in my opinion, watching that. So I, I, I um, was really impressed, really impressed, uh, really happy for uh, Osprey, really happy for Naito. And like, I can't wait to see them have another match, like, you know, for them to be around each other for that long on the main, you know, the, um, I was going to say main event scene, but like in the heavyweight scene since 2019, the summer, and like them being able to not have that match for that long to hold it off, like this was a great moment to put it there. And like they're gonna have more matches, and I hope they're all this good. Really do. Yeah, I was super surprised with Osprey winning last week. You know, we were very confident they're doing Naito Okada in the finals. You know, they never wrestled in a G one, do this kind of big G one match to kind of add a uh, another little wrinkle into right. their rivalry, another chapter. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, like you mentioned, James, like Naito worked super hard this tournament. I'm like, did the whole like come from behind story. He started off 0-2 and he, he came back. He won the block. I'm like, oh, this is a perfect setup. You know, Gato mm-hmm. found, found a way to do his comeback story. <laughs> Again, <laughs> for like the fifth year in a row. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, he, he, he finds a way to do that. Um, and then... This match is happening, and like you're mentioning, you know, yeah, Naito's targeting the injured neck of Osprey, who came in after that match with um, Juice. He got pile drived on on the the floor by Juice, and mm-hmm. Juice targeted his neck, screwed his neck all up in that match. I'm like, oh, well, that's gonna be the excuse. Like, he's gonna mm-hmm. be weakened. Naito's gonna work it over, which he did. He's gonna hit Destino, which targets that area, and it's gonna be game time. But then that didn't happen. Naito comes out here. <laughs> Um, like you mentioned, there was like the uh, the Stormbreaker counter into Destino. I'm like, all right, he's gonna hit the regular Destino, but then no, uh, Osprey continues to come back. He hits the Chelsea grin, the hidden blade. Uh, he does the hook kick right into like the you know the surgically repaired eye of Naito, and he starts coming back. And then uh, he's going for he goes for the hidden blade. Uh, then Naito hits the Destino, which I thought, oh, that, that's gonna be it right there. Will kicks out. Uh, and then he goes for another Destino, but then Will hits the Hidden Blade, gets an airfall, picks him up, hits the Stormbreaker. And I was like, wait, Will's winning. Nobody kicks up the Stormbreaker. One, right. two, three, it was game time. Osprey got the win, and the LIJ fans were, were not happy. Yeah. Oh, they were not. <laughs> yeah, but before we get into that, I mean, I have a couple theories about Naito and why he was putting in the effort that we saw there. Um, like you kind of alluded to there, James, sometimes with this guy, you don't know what you're going to get. And it might be because like, he's got a lot of bumps on his bump card or, you know, he's had a lot of injuries that have mounted. And then, you know, I think a lot of it's just self-preservation, honestly. Um, but with the way that we have been covering it on this shows, we're feeling like, if they don't go with him now, then the moment might pass him by because that's where we're starting. That's what it's starting to look like just from a storyline perspective. And also just from a physical perspective, we don't know how much longer this guy actually has not like in a, in a, like a uh, just speculative way. I mean, look at the way he moves. Like <laughs> it, it might be a wrap. Look at his knees. Yeah. Look at his knees. And like, they're getting more, more, more bowed out like year over year. Like it just, he's not, the same guy that he was, you know, even four or five years ago. So there's always been that thing. We don't know the full inner workings of it, but you know, they always say that the guy who's winning the G1 typically doesn't know until the final night. Like these guys aren't really, from what I understand, like clued in the whole time. 
So it's like, if you're Naito and you're thinking that I'm definitely going to probably get a berth into the finals, you're trying your hardest to like make a case that maybe you should be the guy. And then what if you're told on the last night, you're not winning? Dude, then you're thinking like, oh, shit, if I'm not winning this, then I'm not going to the Dome. And if I'm not going to the Dome, what's next? From I, I got to. All right. We got to pull back. All right. We got to pull. We got to turn back the clock and I've got to oil up these knees. We got to wrap them up and I got to put in like Dakota Abushi, you know, Kenny Omega level performance because my whole career is on the fucking line. Right? <laughs> like he didn't do that. He didn't do that out of the goodness of his heart to make Will Ospreay look good. He did that to save his legacy and his career and his livelihood. He was going out there. He was fighting for his life, bro. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm sorry. I know I get a lot. I know I sometimes come off as like the biggest Naito hater, but you said that this man was wrestling so he wouldn't be living on the street uh, soon. I'm sorry. That's... That's no, it wasn't. Even some of the meanest things I've ever said about Naito. No, oh, it's, not so, it's not so he would be living on the streets. It's that he wouldn't enter in a dad status. Like, he was like, oh, he's like looking over the horizon and he's like, oh, oh man, you know. Uh, yeah, he, he's you looking. Know, he, does, he doesn't want to be Hanma or, you know, those guys. Right. He's, he's looking around. He's like, I don't see Kojima much. I, I don't see Nagata much. They, they need a new dad. <laughs> Suzuki's not even in the G1. Like the best he could hope for is a Suzuki status role, you know? <laughs> oh man. So he went out there and he tried to show him, like, all right, I'm gonna turn back the clock. I still got it in me, you know? Uh-huh. I can do a dome. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Now one other I, thing look, he made the case that he still can, so good for him either way. Absolutely. Now, I also think that in Osprey, he might like he might be looking around and being like, I don't have someone I can fall on my neck and head with in Ibushi anymore. Maybe Osprey is <laughs> that guy. So he needed a new dance partner. But, um, you know, we were we were very much like, uh, you know, we're not we thought that this was a bigger match than them doing it. Like, let's say in Budokan Hall as a semifinal we thought very much that they were holding off on this as like potentially like a wrestle kingdom style match or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, or even a G one final. It didn't happen that way. Um, obviously, you know, one thing ticket sales were pretty much down both night, all three nights, uh, you know, which is a little concerning. Um, they didn't do very well, but the one thing I am hoping is that anyone that saw this, saw this match, this was, again a throwback to better times and i'm wondering if anyone that saw this was like oh shit like next time these guys wrestle each other which i think they will again in a big you know on a big stage i can't miss that at this point so while yeah we were wrong last week in predicting the winner i think ultimately if they do wrestle again they put that on a dontaku level stage or something like that or even like a you know, the April invasion attack card or whatever they want to call it, they'll probably do pretty good business with this match down the road, which ultimately is a net positive. Yeah, which leads into a question that we got from Hawaiian Punch BV. He says, when will be the next time that Naito and Osprey run it back? Will it be before next year's G1? Hmm. I don't really know the answer to that question, but I could easily see this being a new Japan cup level match. Um, 
And I, I guess it really just depends on where both guys end up after, you know, Wrestle Kingdom. I, I, I would assume that we probably won't see this again before the end of, you know, before Tokyo Dome. But afterwards, I think all bets are off. Yeah, I could definitely see this being like a, a big like Dominion level matchup next year. Right. Yeah, they're definitely doing this again uh, next year. Like, I mean, I don't know if it's a um, if it's a you know shit or get off the pot last chance G one final next year between those two because that would be very compelling uh, if they make it back next year in the G one final uh, or if this is you know um, what would have been in a different era uh, a a IC belt match. But uh, yeah, they're definitely doing this again uh, by the end of the year. Or by the end of next year, definitely. Well, you know, you bring up a good point there. Um, that uh, pattern is exactly what they did with Kenny Omega and Naito. They had them in the big, you know, B-block final the first year. And then the next year, they were in the G1 finals against each other. So maybe 2016 that... to 17? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So maybe they do something like that. Maybe they don't face off again until next year's G1, and they, they end up in the finals against each other, possibly. Yeah. But but then but then Osprey has to beat him again. Well, nothing nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I, I guess now that we're on the subject, we we should talk about. Should we get night. rich on the line before? No, no. <laughs> Since we out here already slandering night, so let's let's uh, let's just help kill it. Let's drop bowls on them. Uh, so so the Naito fans though they were extremely perturbed very upset and i gotta tell you man i don't usually go in on a fan base on this show but i kind of thought it was ridiculous um but in the same way kind of endearing because how many people out there really have that sort of dedicated devoted fan base that they're gonna roll you know ride for that dude no matter what you know i mean they they they, there's no logic to it there's no real perspective to it their their logic is Fuck you! I want my guy to win, and if he doesn't win, we're we're gonna riot. Like they're the real like. If CM Punk doesn't win, we riot. You know, that's them about Naito. But that's at the what, same that's time, what I was like, gonna say. That's what I was gonna say. CM Punk, yeah. But but at the same time, like it's kind of illogical. It's like, bro, like this guy. I saw people being like, "Fuck him!" They've given so much to Osprey. It's like, bro, Osprey is like in the early fledgling part of his career. Naito's like done it all. He's held the title multiple times. Headline Tokyo Domes, one G1s, like he's done a, a, a ton. Like, why are you why are you upset right now? Like, you know, you don't see me. I love Tanahashi. And when Tanahashi loses, you don't see me bitching and complaining online or, you know, like burning down the podcast over it. You don't see, you know, Jeremy freaking out when his favorites look like there is no other New Japan fan base that go that reacts this way. Um, when their person loses, it's only the LIJ stance and it's only for Naito, even when it doesn't make sense. It's like someone hurt them deeply to their core and it, it's illogical. Yeah. yeah. The person's name is Gato. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like they, they hate their book. They hate their booker and they think that like their booker is sabotaging their top guy. Like that. that am I, am I wrong here? That's exactly what they think. Like oh, I he, saw, I saw, a Naito Abbey complain that Will Ospreay has already has too much because he is the uh, IWGP US champion and the Repro champion. As if Repro has any fucking thing to do with 
at all with New Japan Pro Wrestling right now at this particular time. I right. was I, I was like, bro, I can't help you. And then and then like, not, Osprey didn't win it, so it's like now what do you got? It was just a match. Relax. Well, that's that's what made it even funnier. Was like when it was all because they did once Naito lost to Osprey. I was like, oh shit, they got me believing that Osprey was gonna win. Like I was sold on it, and then. And then he didn't win. And um, I don't know. I feel like maybe that's, I don't know. I guess we'll talk about it here in a minute, but I feel like maybe that's worse. <laughs> but um, if there was any one guy that that fan base would not want beating Naito on a big stage, it's Osprey. And I feel like that added more insult to injury because that's the same kind of fan base that's like very anti-Will. You know what I mean? It, mm. they, they, there's a Venn diagram. And anti-Kenny. Because and, they're, yeah. they're, they're tired of these white boys coming in and stealing Japanese jobs and spots. That's what's going on. <laughs> the Venn diagram is almost just a perfect circle. There's very there's a huge overlap <laughs> between those two groups. Oh man, yeah, I, I saw some of the reactions. People were you know saying throw the whole G one away. You know, what, yeah, bro, what a waste of time. Does it even matter? <laughs> you know, Dice didn't win. Does this whole you know month even matter? I'm like. Bro, we saw a lot of like four star matches, and we just saw this awesome like Osprey Naito match, awesome Okada Tamatanga. Like, they can't even appreciate that that literally this was Naito's most vintage tournament and performance in years. Like, this guy hasn't gotten out of bed to perform the way he did in this tournament for probably six or seven years, and he turned back the clock. No, that's not enough for them. Doesn't matter that he you know had this huge storyline and came back and was a finalist and had a match of the year contender. None of that matters. He didn't win. So fuck the tournament and fuck the IWGP committee and fuck Gato. Like, you know what I mean? It's crazy. It doesn't even matter that he's won this fucking tournament twice already. It doesn't right. matter. It doesn't matter. It's never enough. Like they, the Naito fans, I believe are just stuck in this thing, this inferiority complex to Okada. And that's the reason why they lash out Okada as well. Right? Like we got Zach Porter, our friend, that will complain about Night Okada's gear and call you know the fact that he met, he started wearing trunks instead of like like the MMA type of compression things he, he called it a diaper he, like it, it's his it's his thing and like every time Okada continues to be the straight A student as uh you know Naito is a bit of a slacker and decides to pull out his best stuff when it's called when it's absolutely needed and called upon they pretend like. His person is always there, ready, ready, willing to go and to deliver at any moment's notice. Was like that's not what Naito does. I'm not to say that Naito even could do it if, if he wanted to, and he's like just lazy. It's just that like the things he has done to his body over the over the years caused him to where he can't do this to this extent. So they've gone with the younger guy with less mileage on him, and they can't stand it, regardless of the results or whatever. Uh, one guy's on top versus the other one, like. I'm not going not I'm not I'm not putting this on Naito but like Naito got his run where he finally beat Okada and everything and then the world completely changed forever right and like that's not that's not Naito's fault but like that was his that was his run if similar to the Drew McIntyre thing you're not guaranteed to get another another time with it if you will because it was time for other things and like that's the keep going to the same guys over and over we become stale right so like I, I get it I, I get I get the frustration I get all of that but like 
I don't know what to tell you. Do you want to watch Stardom? I can help you teach how to get to watch Stardom. There's, there's plenty of other, there's plenty of other very talented people that what that won't break through either. That, I, can I interest you in a Mama Watanabe? Sorry, sorry, sorry. Hey, sorry, hey, Jeremy, hey, I'm, hey, sorry. Hey. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But it is what it is. Like, like, there's always going to be people that get their moment in the sun, uh, and when they do, you cherish it. It's not, and it is not uh, something you're going to get continually forever. Not everybody's going to get consistent runs there might be one guy like an okada that's going to do that but that's a special situation we're talking about a dude that, that might end up being the goat might might be close to ghost status already he could keep continuing to grow the legend naito he just had the first match i've really truly loved in like four years where it's totally different with this dude it's totally different the standard is totally different we do not grade these people the same and like i, I just think that like the naito fans don't care they just want their naito on top Winning everything, and they wanted they just wanted to launch Okada into the sun, they want to launch Kenny Omega into the sun. Like anybody that gets close, anybody that, that, that they think could be a Tokyo domain eventer, they don't want anybody for Naito to have to actually face and if you actually be compelled to. You want it out there, I don't know, facing evil forever. I don't know. <laughs> I've got three quick comments, I'll kick it and then I'll be done and I'll kick it to you, Jeremy. Number one, you guys had his huge multi year build to the 2020 Dome, where he had one of the greatest moments in the history of New Japan Pro Wrestling, where he unified the titles and beat Okada in the Dome. Like, that wasn't good enough for y'all? Like, I get it. He didn't have the greatest run afterwards, but, like, that's not going to happen again. We're never replicating January 5th, 2020. Like, that's just not happening again. So, you know, I don't know what to tell you about that one. Number two, I'm not convinced that he isn't going to the dome in some capacity. We got a lot of time right now between today and January 4th, 2023. And if hypothetically he does end up there, I'm not saying it's going to happen. A lot of you complaining so hard and so loud are going to look really dumb. So maybe next time dial back your responses and let it play out. <laughs> let it play out. All right. He's number three. Y'all. Don't listen last, to him. Don't listen three. to him. He's number trolling three. y'all. Last thing, you want to feel what it's really like to be disappointed? Try being a Tomohiro Ishii fan. The mm. guy who's actually like one of the absolute greatest talents in the history of all of wrestling. And he's never even going to sniff a dome. He's never going to sniff a G1 final. He's never going to touch that, the, the IWGP Dude. world title. So, Ishi- you know, he had to stave off. He had to stave off from getting cut this year from the tournament. Yeah, so try 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 living the way we do the the Ishii stands. Like I don't know what to tell Ishii you. Ishii can't even get a New Japan Cup. Yeah, <laughs> he's never won a tournament. Uh-oh. He's never won the only singles title he's ever held is the Never Belt. Like, what are we doing? Yeah, we have uh, two other quick Naito questions here. First from MJSPR. He says, "In my opinion, Naito can still go and is still super valuable to NJPW. Does he have That's one true. more run with the World Championship left in him?" Yeah, I think so. And he's never held the belt. And if you want to do that, you absolutely can. So, but do I think he ever has a run where he is the guy and he runs the company and he had, he breaks records with title defenses, you know, a la Okada? No, that's never happening. What do you think, James? I don't think I have to say anything else because Josh just said it. <laughs> <laughs> like the dude's not Okada. It's perfectly fine. Y'all can love that dude all you want to. He's just not Okada. Okada's Okada's like totally different. He's totally different. 
We've never seen nothing like that before, or we haven't seen anything like this in a long ass time. However you want to, uh, however you want to say it, like that dude's on this that particular level, and Naito can reach back and get to that level from time to time, but on a consistent basis, the way that that Okada has, no, just no. Do you want to know what it's like? It's not quite the same thing, but it's like if Tanahashi is Ali and Okada is Tyson, then Naito's Larry Holmes. Wow. <laughs> He's really that's, great. It's not his fault that he just happened to be sandwiched between two of the all-time greats wow. that he can never live up to. <laughs> wow. Oh, my gosh. Uh, but, yeah, I, I'm in agreement with you guys. I, I think there – I mean, like, I'm, I agree with Josh. I definitely think there's a chance that Nitel slips in the Dome main event January 4th as a champion. Um, so, yeah, I think there is a one more run is possible, but I agree. I don't expect to see him having, you know, this year-long, you know, world-beater, you know – Naito World Tour. Yeah, and also like if he's if he backdoors his way into another Tokyo Dome title match, I'm 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 gonna say I've had enough. This is charity we're doing with this man. <laughs> we it's, it's been enough already. Either let him win, either let him win these things and stop having being backdoored all the time. Like I, I've I've kind of had enough with the he starts late, he heats up. He 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 slips through, or he doesn't make it, and then he still finds a way to still weasel his way in as a as a you know a a fan favorite. Like that is this is the stuff that the they title. should be doing with Jay. This is stuff they should be doing with Jay White as a heel, not as not as a fan favorite. If he beats Jay White and he carries the belt in, you never know. He's got a few title defenses coming up. Oh, so he's going to. He's definitely having more than one, more than just a time one. The champion always has at least two, sometimes three, between now and then. Right, but they're normally, you know, outside of the people that he's that they, they've you know getting the wins back basically after uh, right. the G one. Like they're normally like people that you think they're they're just going to walk through. Well, but you think there's has, actually only have the Naito one. He only has right, Tonga. That's true. He yeah. beat everybody else, and who else is a credible potential? I'm thinking if I was them, I would do it on the Stardom New Japan crossover show. Do him and Naito. That'd be a big draw. I didn't think about it that way, but yeah, they could do that. Uh, I, I just, um, I don't know. Like the idea of Naito wins the belt, and then he, and then now his idea is, and now the idea is like the Naito Okada thing at the dome, except the except like Naito's the champ instead of Okada. Like I know that's a different dynamic for the match that they've sold. Now uh, that would be what the third time the dome for them. No, the fourth, fourth time. That'd be the fourth time. That'd be the fourth. That'd be the fourth time. That would change the dynamic, but it would be, it, it will feel a lot like you know window dressing, kind of similar. It's like, oh well, let's do it when like you know Brock is the baby face and Roman is the heel. It's like, bro, I don't care. Like, I mean, right. obviously those matches will be better, but you get my point. Is like, I'm like, you've worn this out. But there, there is something in common there in that the company felt like Brock and Roman was the best drawing match that they possibly could do in that environment. And they might not have another match right now returning to clap crowds in the dome that could actually sell that many tickets. So uh, if I was then that's true. That's I true. Might, I might just go that way and do that match one last time, get as much juice out of the squeeze as I possibly could, because it might be the last hurrah for, for Naito on that level. And when else am I going to be able to like cash out on the guy like that? That might be the time to do it. I guess. I, I mean, 
I mean, because then you can tell the story of you can make Naito the champion. He beats Okada, and then that ties off what they've done all year, uh, where they end up two and two each other. And then you move on, and you make you have Naito be the champion as, um, as you know they they keep trying to get fans back uh, cheering. Um, you in yeah, so I I could see them possibly doing it. You've taught me into now. Thing is more of a, is more than just like a a a Naito fan uh, desperate uh, booking uh fantasy booking thing so so yeah like i can see that um and i gotta say like if you do that you do naito and um okada in the dome and then like the undercard the some main event is like okada i'm sorry is uh omega and osprey sign me up sign right. me up yeah. sign me up sounds I'm great with it. yeah dang Tanahashi to from the top sign me up yeah and, and then jay white's just a hoe so <laughs> oh oh do 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 jay white and adam cole Four for the top. That's that. That's that sounds about appropriate compared to the eight people we just we just put on here, right? Yeah. We got we got and, we got Perolitas listening right now, like rage quitting the podcast, like Adam Cole. <laughs> the dome. I, I didn't. I didn't say Adam Cole. Did I? I, I thought I said. Uh, I, I thought I said. Um, or did he uh, say Page? Adam Page. Mm. Oh my bad. I don't. Yeah, I guess I, th- I think Josh either, said Adam Cole. Oh my bad. Either, either Adam. Either Adam, both these, both Adams. these Adams. God, that was hard. that was uh, that was rough to watch. That was rough to sit there and listen to the to the, the, a group of people that are right next to me, and I can't get them to stop. Oh, that was rough. That was rough. Uh, this this last question, I think we kind of already addressed. Dark Soldier said, "Do you feel there's at least hope for Naito being a U.S. champion? It's just sad how, in a sort of way, he's fallen. He was never given a true run as world champion, and he's only done mid card stuff since then." At this point, I could see him holding any of the titles in New Japan. Is there a chance? Let's just say hypothetically, could they run back him and Osprey in the dome for the red belt? Yeah, I mean, I don't see why not. You know, if they don't do the Omega thing, that could easily happen. So, I mean, you know how I feel. I've always felt that Naito was white belt material. Uh, he wasn't black belt material. They just they just did it. Uh, very similar to Tanahashi and Nakamura. But uh, like, there's no white belt anymore. And if that man ends up with that red belt, oh, <laughs> hey, it's... Oh, oh, it's gonna be bad. I'm, oh, I'm gonna love that so much. That's gonna be great for the agendas. That's gonna oh be great for, the, for various agendas. It will be. I mean, somebody needs to give that belt like a you know a, some a rub and a great run. Things cursed. Yeah. Somebody, yeah. You know, you, first. red belt. You know, look, look. Think about it this way, right? That can. T- Naito has never been uh has, was not involved with uh Ben Door. You can set him up as the red belt champion. Uh he could go and tour in the mid, right? <laughs> and then right while everybody else is handling uh domestically the stuff uh while he's gone. And then like, you know, you can have a program with people like Osprey and Juice and 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 Finley and that kind of stuff, and whoever else they want to bring uh for the for Ben Door stuff out of AEW. And go back and forth. You can bring Naito to, to uh, Forbidden Door into AEW, and he's a, still a big star. He's one of those people that, like, he comes out, he's going to pop the uh, the uh, U.S. crowd, similar to Okada or, or Tanahashi when they came. And then, like, when it's time for big dome shows or, or Dominion or Duntaku, like you said, he could be he could be in the semi-main as Okada is main of any of these shows because he's the ace. Yeah. Nice. Well, let's move on to the New Japan Pro Wrestling G1 Climax 32 Finals, August 18th, from Nippon Budokan, Tokyo. Uh, the first match of the night, 
We had Chaos Team of Goto, Ishii, Yo, and Yoshihashi. They defeated the House of Torture, Dick Togo, Evil, Sho, and Yujiro Takahashi. Uh, I'm guessing that might have implications for the Never Six Man Openweight Tag Team titles down the line, it seemed like. Yeah, there is a Never Six Man match coming up on the Burning Spirit Tour. Gotcha. Second match, we had uh, the TMDK team of Badu, Tito, and Jonah defeat Team Filthy, Royce Isaacs, and Tom Lawler. We had a question here from Trevolution Now. He said, before his tag match against TMDK, Tom jumped out of the ring to emphasize to Kevin Kelly that he was done in Japan. He wouldn't be back. Uh, were the sentiments genuine? And if so, were they the product of being asked to put TMDK over again? He seemed to be enjoying himself in the crowd up to that point. So I think I, I, I missed this post-match when he said that to Kevin Kelly, but clearly that, that must have just been an upset at the loss scene because he is booked for the New Japan Stardom Historic Crossover. I heard him on Filthy Four Daily uh, today with Alvarez and you know had a great time in the G1, love the new G1. He's still a part of New Japan, so that must have been a thing that's getting caught up in the moment, and I think we'll definitely see Filthy Tom back in Japan on a, a regular New Japan show. We'll definitely see him on the, the Stardom Crossover show. Yeah, this in, your, in your opinion, do you guys think he may have been there was any chance he may have just been working? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. This was totally a work. This is not the company okay. where people go out and step out of line and take liberties and call people out and do work <laughs> strip promos. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the third match, United Empire team of Hanari, Great O'Connor, and Jeff Cobb. They defeated the Bull Club team of Bella Kale, Chase Owens, and Juice Robinson. Fourth match of the night, Suzuki Goon team of Lance Archer, Tai Chi, and Zack Sabre Jr. defeated the LIJ team of Bushi, Sonata, and Tetsuya Naito. It seemed pretty um, apparent in this match that we might be getting some version of Zack and Naito continued down the line. And based on the upcoming cards, it looks like, you know, we might be getting Dangerous Techers versus Sonata Naito. So, you know, they might be inhabiting that tag space for a bit there. Yeah. Um, Fifth match of the night, Bullet Club team of El Phantasmo and Kenta defeated the LIJ team of Hiromu and Shingo uh, Takagi. Eighth match of the night, David Finley and Tanahashi. They defeated the Good Brothers, Doc Gallows, and Carl Anderson. Tanahashi gave Carl Anderson the reigning never open weight uh, champion, the High Fly Flow, after, and pinned him. And after the match, did the, uh, the good old-fashioned Bret Hart you know, belt mime, so letting him know, like, hey, I want your strap, so... Looks like, uh, you know, our speculation last week was accurate. Tanahashi's coming for that belt. Seventh match of the night, semi-main event, Kushida and Tamatanga, the two number one contenders for the major junior and heavyweight titles. They defeated the Bull Club team of Jay White and Taiji Shimori. Nine minutes and 30 seconds post-match, the babyfaces stood tall with the heels' titles to set up future title shots. And then finally... That leads us to the G1 Climax 2022 final match as Kazushika Okada defeated Will Ospreay with Aaron Hanari, Great Okan, and Jeff Cobb at ringside, 33 minutes and 53 seconds in one of the classic G1 final matches. This match was absolutely incredible, blow-away matchup. You know, we, we failed to mention... The night before Osprey's closing match promo, Osprey had a very impassionate promo talking about, you know, he's lost to Okada all these time. He only beat Okada one time. And that one time he got help from the great Okan. He's like, I know that I can beat him. Guys like AJ Styles have beaten him. 
Hiroshi Tanahashi, Tetsuya Naito, Kenny Omega, all these guys have beaten him. Uh, but I know I can beat him. Uh, I'm better than those guys. And so that was a whole kind of story into this match. He wanted to prove that he could beat um, Okada on his own. And they just played a master class of a match with uh, callbacks to their previous matches. And then all those guys that Osprey called out led into a sequence of the match where he's hitting the, the high fly flow. He's hitting uh, a V trigger. He tries for the one wing angel. He's going He's trying to use all these moves. He hits a Styles Clash. He's he does a phenomenal forearm. He's doing all these moves that guys that Okada's had great matches with and guys that Okada has lost to. He's trying to use some of their great weapons to to beat Okada. And he he just couldn't do it. He was busting every single thing out. He even kicked out of you know the the super finishing sequence of the the landslide. Tombstone and Rainmaker, which I thought that that was it, and Osprey kicked out of that, which led into more crazy sequences. And yeah, this match was just amazing. I don't think anyone has kicked out of the Rainmaker in a very long time either. Like at least in a couple of years, they really reestablished that kind of like. I remember Brock Lesnar was beating everybody with just one F five for like a year or two. Yeah, they kind of did the same thing here with the Rainmaker and reestablish it. Like there was a time where people got hit with it three, four times the match would kick out, but those days have been long gone. And so to see anybody kick out of it in 2022 is pretty shocking. I love this match so much. Um, It's, I I don't know. I don't, I wouldn't say it's my favorite match of the year, but it is the best match I've seen this year. Um, All the stuff that Jeremy mentioned with, you know, the, the promo the night before talking about uh, the prior, uh, Okada canon, if you will, of excellence, and him throwing that in there. Um, and it also plays into their Rose Kingdom match, where like you had the segment where uh the shoe head bud that is reminiscent of Shibata, the V trigger that is reminiscent of Kenny Omega. Uh, you throw in the stuff that um Osprey's been doing with Kenny o- or building towards the Kenny Omega match eventually down the line, where he's been teasing and the one wing angel and all that kind of stuff, and like. It, you know, uh, it, the crowd went the crowd went nuts in a way that like is illegal. Um, so <laughs> it was, was it was it was a hell of a match. And um, like y'all y'all know because y'all as the New Japan Pro Wrestling uh, podcast, like y'all hear the stuff about people say about Ken, about Will Osprey and his lack of psychology or storytelling. And like uh, it, it's it's funny to me. Like I keep seeing I keep you know. I keep seeing all that stuff still for reasons to doubt that dude. Meanwhile, this dude keeps coming out here and keeps putting together these great, these great like touches and callbacks and stuff. And it's like, nah, man, you just don't like him, and you're making stuff up. Yeah. I'm sorry. Like, I yeah, understand I, like he might be a little too flippy for you, but like, I can also show you like a dozen matches where there's, there's little to no flips. Like this dude is, this dude is just special and you know, Okada is all time. So this was, this I, was great. I never hear that. And the reason I don't hear that is because I don't generally dialogue with people that have takes that are that egregiously stupid, mm. you know, and I, I hate to say it that way, but it is true. Like if you can't step outside of your tastes or your biases, whether they're warranted or not, and for a lot of people, they probably are warranted, you know, um, this guy is, does hasn't really handled himself, you know, the best outside of the ring. And there's a lot of, real life reasons people don't like him but if you can't like step outside of that and acknowledge the talent that he possesses 
and the skills he possesses, regardless of how you feel about him personally, I don't know if I can really take your opinion seriously as a wrestling fan or analyst or whatever, because he's clearly one of the greatest talents of all time, period. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. We're seeing a master. (laughs) I don't know what to tell you, man. Like, you know, you don't got to like him, but he's, he is, you know, objectively incredible. Yeah. And this man, he busted out the sky twister in this match uh, to the outside. Yeah. To the outside, which was incredible. A uh, spot where Osprey drop kicks him out of the Oz cutter uh, was incredible. We got the the spinning uh, version of the landslide tombstone towards the end uh, from Okada. And again, there's just so many just incredible counters and on top of counters. Um, once again, Okada had to bust out the the Cobra Flosion uh, that he used uh, to to come uh, counter the, the Hidden Blade and go for the Rainmaker there. But yeah, I mean, literally, like just. From the beginning, and there's just so many amazing moves and sequences, and just great storytelling. Um, again, Okada kicked out of a hidden blade. Yeah, yeah, like like uh, like one that looked like it might have actually put him out, and I was like, oh shit, did he win? <laughs> I, I I thought I thought it was over. Yeah, yeah, there was a, a near countout spot where Okada uh, barely got in at, at 19, and we've seen a lot of countouts in this G1, so I think that was kind of a, <laughs> a good finish to do. Uh, yeah, teasing like the pile driver on the apron uh, from Osprey to Okada. Like, there's just so many less like, great things they did in here, and just like if you've small, not seen... small things too. Yeah, like they both came in with their own debilitating neck injuries, and mm-hmm. there was the aspect of the story where typically in a G1, usually you go back to back nights, but because of the four block tournament, they had you know three nights back to back to back and that accumulated uh, wear and tear from the big matches and, and performances that played into the story of the finals here as well. And I mean, both guys really selling their necks, uh, you know, all throughout the match, both guys targeting the neck and all, you know, like you mentioned, Jeremy, how much history they have with one another. So how many reversals they were able to do based on their intimate knowledge of each other's, uh, you know, move sets. One thing, too, like you mentioned, um, Osprey going for the moves of all these different foes that have vanquished Okada in the past, you know, it kind of tells a story that he was studying tape and he's developed this plan to ultimately defeat Okada, you know, like a game plan. And that reminded me in a lot of ways to what Kenny Omega did in his first G1 finals when he was facing Goto. If you recall, he bust out. They hit um, the Bloody Sunday and the Styles Clash and um, some of the other moves that Prince Devitt and AJ Styles had done previously before he bust out the one-winged angel and ultimately defeated Goto. So I was like, oh, man, there's like almost like a quasi-passing of the torch moment here because I really thought he was beating Okada. (laughs) Like they got me to, they really got me to believe. And I was like, oh, my God, like this, he's emulating and following in the paths and steps of something that like Kenny did. But then when he put him up for the one winged angel, I was like, Oh, he's not like, he's not going <laughs> to. Yeah. And the reason I know, and here's another weird thing. Like Okada respects uh, Omega too much to get into whatever that may or not may or may not be going on with Omega and Osprey to be like, yeah, I'll, I'll let you do the other guys move to me. And then I'll lose to it. Like he's like, nah, I, right. I, yeah. That's when I was like, Oh yeah, he's not winning. 
Yeah, uh, same, same here. This is something I told Rich off the air, and I think it's kind of weird in a way. And I don't, I'm not like gonna put on the tinfoil hat, but I just think it's interesting. This time, yeah, this time. <laughs> so you know, Omega left this company with the Elite a few years ago. It wasn't under the best circumstances, and the whole time he's been gone, even before these two companies started working together, he's always had that co- that clause in his contract that if he had a booking or a date with New Japan, he could go and work for them. And as of yet, it still hasn't happened. That whole situation hadn't thought out until probably the last year or two, really. And in the interim, New Japan has had lots and lots of wrestlers tease that they were going to use the one winged angel from El Fantasmo to Will Ospreay, even Kota Ibushi, and nobody even lands it. And I think it's a really weird thing that even though the relationship has always been kind of strained, they've always still shown this like reverence for this move. And it's not just on one or two occasions. It's like on a lot of occasions where nobody in the entire company can land the one winged angel, no matter how many times they try it. It just, (laughs) it's not even that they can use it and fail with it. They're not even allowed to land it. And so Yes, I think that him failing by trying to use that, I think that is obviously building upon the foundation that Omega and Osprey kind of laid earlier this year for a potential match down the road. But I just think it's really strange that like maybe Gato has always had the foresight that like things were going to temper and eventually they'll work together again. And there is storylines kind of in place for him when Kenny does come back. Yeah, and uh, I'll... Also, we're, we're probably going to see those guys in the ring very soon with Osprey and Aussie Open being a part of the AEW Trios tournament this week, facing off against Death Triangle. If they win, they'll face Kenny and the Bucks. So we're getting right. real close to them getting back in the ring together. Yeah, um, I, I just think that a lot of people, given you know upset feelings and being pissed at like the Western expansion stuff, just went out the window to start another. Uh, actual, you know, uh, major American professional wrestling uh, promotion, like the business part was always, you know, the thing that was in the way more than is actually was like the wrestlers um, or, or even like the bookers, right? Like, so I'm, you know, like we talked about, like Kenny Omega was there for years. He had been in Japan for what, a decade, right? Um, Or something close to that. Um, in different places before New Japan. And like he clearly has some level of respect and reverence from these locker rooms. So yeah, like they want to tease whatever. I, I can understand they want to tease whatever they, or whatever they want to do. But like I think they're I think they're smart enough to realize like there is a path to one, like a, another match with this guy down the line or matches with this guy. And like we want to be over in America too. So like why would so let's use this thing because we we and just hope that even if even if we never do it or whatever else, or even if it never happens, like it still tells interesting stories and compelling. And like people pop when they see somebody on someone's shoulders um, in a new in electric chair position during a new Japan match. It's just always going to be a thing. Yeah. Like the same way when you see someone being, you know, in uh, you know, in Styles class position, like everyone's going to pop for a Styles class yeah. in Japan for the rest of time, or at least for the next, you know, for this generation of pro wrestling fans in Japan. Always going to happen. 
Yeah, like, now, like we mentioned, the crowd, oh, they they broke the, the restrictions. They were buzzing. They were going crazy when Osprey got Okada up because they were like, it, I think it even means more with a guy like Osprey doing it. Uh, mm-hmm. They were like, oh, man, like this this could happen. Yeah, absolutely. I'm kind of glad that we didn't review this last week, that it kind of worked out that we sort of had a, a week to ruminate because I got to tell you, when it initially happened, I was legit. And I guess it's a good sign because – there's not very many matches I really respond to emotionally, like a real fan, because <laughs> we're always analyzing them for the, for the show. But I was pissed that Osprey didn't win, and it not yeah. and bro, I'm not Mark. even really an Osprey guy <laughs> like that. Like I'm not a Mark for him. I'm not a big, you know, he's not like my my dude. But I just was like so bought in on the idea that this is the route they're going, the story they were telling, and it's finally happening. And then when I was like, damn it, Okada won again. <laughs> and um you know plus Gato he went back to back and that's his fourth win overall he's coming up on Chono's record Chono's at it, 5 right yeah and it's not like um it's it's not so egregious because he won it back to back it's egregious because he won it back to back and Gato's done back to back tournament wins in every tournament for years and years and years now, we saw it with Ibushi. We saw it with Lij. We saw it with Rapongi 3K. Hiromu. Like we've seen it with Hiromu, and it's kind of just a repetitive sort of thing. So there was this knee-jerk reaction where I was not happy with the decision from the outset. But in the time since then, Osprey's been to the UK, and he wrestled for Repro while he was wrestling for Repro. Man was over like a god, so much so that the fans were chanting "fuck Okada." Um, And then he's on his way, you know, to AEW now. And it feels like, even though this tournament was a little more under the radar than some other G ones, the final had such a great outcome in terms of match output that I think it kind of helped Osprey get more over in defeat to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. And to where people want, are really clamoring for him to see him beat Okada. And even though Okada's beaten him many times in the past, no one's really ever clamored and gotten behind Osprey this way. I can't recall too many times where the whole audience was breaking the restrictions and rules and trying to will him to victory the way they were in this match. So I think that they've kind of sown uh, some seeds for, for money down the line, which is a, a good thing. The other thing, too, is Okada came out of the tournament and declared that he's not going to carry a briefcase anymore. And he, the way he sees it, the champion should just automatically get a 1-4 a title shot. And, yeah, he'll stay busy and he'll have other grudge matches and things in between now and January. But he's not putting his, his title shot on the line. He's automatically slotted into the, uh, into the title role, which I think – from a certain sense, that's kind of heelish and dickish. But if you think about it logically, that kind of makes the most sense for a few reasons. Number one, that briefcase thing, it was a damned if you don't, damned if you do situation. If you don't have someone lose, it, it becomes repetitive every year. They just go through the mundane motions, and we've been living that for about a decade now. And then the one time they did have someone lose, it made it worse. So it's not really a good booking trope from that perspective. But the other thing, too, is why shouldn't the G1 winner get that that acclaim and that um you know that right because if you think about it the champion was also in the tournament 
he could have won. He didn't win. Nobody else won. The only person that did it was the G1 champion. Why should they have to defend the right against anybody after they went through the, the longest, most arduous and prestigious tournament in, in all of wrestling? Like in kayfabe, that person has accomplished something that is only second to winning the title. They should just automatically get the title shot and they should get that advantage going into January 4th. It should fall on the champion who did not win the G1. It, they failed. It should fall on them to be defending their spot because they're the ones who didn't win the tournament to begin with. I've always felt that way. And that's kind of why I felt that when they do until the Jay White thing happened, like I kind of felt that's kind of the reason why they even do the defenses. Just like it just to keep someone, you know, uh, hot in, in everyone's you know mind at the forefront and, and allude to the Tokyo Dome, right? And then they fucked her on the head. Abushi get hold like that. And I was like, oh no, they, okay. Can we go back? We, I think we went a step too far. I think we messed this up. <laughs> um, so yeah. Um, and it does play into the Okada uh, Hill thing. And like the thing, and that's the reason why like, uh, you know, Okada is, as an Okada fan, right? Like that's my guy in New Japan, You as you as you both know. Um, like years and years of seeing this dude have these incredible blowy matches at the top of cards with with people and like these crowds overwhelmingly. Even though he is a is a is a fan favorite, like every, during all these matches, people just are living and dying for him to lose. Um, over the years, especially during like the 2017 championship run, um, and to see like that dude like be able to get that out of Will Osprey of all people in Japan. Uh, it was just like the last time I think I remember that was like the, the best super juniors final with Shingo where like this guy is absolutely not an underdog. This guy absolutely is not necessarily a baby face uh, to a lot of people uh, based off the things he's, he said and, and done and like the bell rings and they just, he just makes you, you know, he, he makes people like, like just lose it for him. Um, and like that, that kind of, uh, that kind of, like feeling was was happening during his match, where it's like this is a guy that turned on Okada and beat him down, uh, and cro- and double crossed him and turned on him, and then like all these matches ever since then, or at least this year, like it has been people like rooting like crazy for the guy that got screwed over by his friend to want the friend the betrayer to 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 overcome the betrayee after all this time, and it's like. This is the magic of Kazushika Okada and all the things he's done over the years as a standard bearer champion. That like mm-hmm. he's not a heel, but because he's so damn great, people treat or people react to him like he's a heel or he's a champion, even when he's not the champion. And they want him, he, they want the other guy to win because he's the overdog. Right. He is the big dog, if you will. Like <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like it's it's but it's he it, is amazing the things before. he's done over the we, over the last. We've seen that year. with Sorry. Hogan. We've seen that with Flair. We've seen yeah. that with Mizawa at different times. Yeah. Sometimes with dominant champion, that's just what happens. But the interesting yeah. thing was no, no, I don't, I don't, I don't mean that as a bad thing. I'm just saying, like that's the that's the that's the part that's what comes with being the standard. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting thing too, looking at their reaction online to to the win. Like you go on like the English New Japan account. And fans are pissed. People were upset that Okada won. They'll say, you know, mm-hmm. LOL Okada wins. Oh my gosh, Okada again. Like people just complaining and just uh, hating that Okada won. 
But then when you look on the Japanese New Japan Twitter feed and you do some translations, the fans are like, oh, wow, great fight, Okada. So glad Okada won. Okada showed a fighting spirit. You know, yep. another amazing fight by Okada. Like, it's so funny. Like, the two, even though you mentioned, like, the crowd was behind Osprey, they mm-hmm. still recognize that Okada is incredible and just had this incredible match, and they're excited to see him go to the Dome. Well, think about yeah. the, the, the um, poll that just came out from Tokyo's most popular wrestler in Japan, why wouldn't he get that kind of reception? You know, and a lot of Western fans, and now they're entitled to how they feel and their opinion, no doubt. You know, right. you don't like it, you don't got to like it, but they kind of forget sometimes that this is a domestic this is Japanese product. <laughs> right. This, yeah, I, I, I encountered it, I, I've encountered this a lot, like, with the stardom stuff. Like, they, yeah, yeah but, yeah, it's just this thing where, like, it's cool that you that it's cool that we all like Japanese professional wrestling. It's cool that we like Piro, right? Like, but first and foremost, you gotta understand as a person that is literally on the on the other side of the earth, behind a sometimes thirteen to fourteen uh, hour difference in time, and like speaking a totally different language. Like, this is not for us. It's like they like that we like this stuff, but they're not booking for us. Like specifically, like to pop us, like we are the minority. Like they have a domestic fan base that they are uh, doing this for and trying to entertain, and it's totally different. And like, if you don't like it that way, or if this is dissatisfactory to or dissatisfactory, sorry, dissatisfying to you, then like you should check out, or you should like have a completely different like mind frame, mind state of mind on how you're watching this. And like watching this over the years, like the the Naito fans. Um, seeing some of the stardom uh, people behave in a Western account, like I'm just like I don't know, I don't know what made you think this is what this was actually for you. It's for you to enjoy. It's not for you to be like this is the thing and they're catering towards you. They're not. If you want someone to cater toward you as a Western as a Western uh, fan and it's a and it's a uh, pure promotion, I suggest you like want to look at some of the Wrestle Universe stuff. Like, <laughs> but that's but this isn't it. It's not. It's not for you. It's not. Well, you know, it's funny. We're talking about dominant champions. I mean, the closest thing we have to modern Anoki is Okada. And, you know, if people are upset about this, they would have hated it watching <laughs> New Japan in the 70s and in the 80s. Like, this is a guy who won every tournament back to back to back to back to back. Like, he, he won fucking everything forever. And then even when he was old and he, like, was like, all right, I'm not going to fight for the title anymore, he still kept winning. Like he, he makes he makes Muto. You know, people complain about Muto. He puts Muto to shame. Like Muto looks like the most giving guy there ever was compared to Noki. Um, but you know, for me, like I love him because I don't have to live through that. I can cherry pick and choose the greatness. And you know, sometimes when you're living through it, it's it's not quite the same scenario. But for me. You know, one reason, again, that I, I'm also saying that I'm glad we did this a week later is like, sure, my knee-jerk reaction was negative, but we got one of Okada's best matches in years as well. And that's saying something because Okada hasn't necessarily slipped, but this was a vintage Okada performance, you know, and those don't come around as often as they used to. And so that kind of gives me hope for what's down the road for him going into uh, Dome season. And 
with Osprey losing, if it was a situation where he lost, say, the way Sonata did a couple years ago, and I just felt like he was getting deep pushed and going away, yeah, I wouldn't be happy. But the, the fact of the matter is it feels like he has kind of a similar situation to remember when Kenny lost to Okada at the, the Tokyo Dome the first time, and then they kept them apart, and you started clamoring for that like match to happen again mm-hmm. because he was so close, and he got over in defeat, and then he started doing cool shit afterwards. That kind of feels like what Osprey's about to like do. Like as great as he's been, things are heating up for him right now. So right. all in all, I think it's all a net positive. Yeah, and even like the emphasis on the post match where you know you, you have great O'Con, he's disappointed. All these guys they're <laughs> devastated. <laughs> they're, oh yeah. They're, 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 and we and we and we seen that. Remember he used to do that with Tanahashi back in the day? Yeah, all these guys are sad for Will, and then the, the scene of Will walking away from Okada dejected. Reminds you of when Okada walked away from Tanahashi dejected and was crying uh, you know, at Wrestle Kingdom. Same thing here. We have a, a broken Will Ospreay. Ate this big defeat. He thought he was going to do it. He had the whole empire there. They all helped him get ready for this match. He busted out all these big moves and weapons. You know, the, the sky twister and the cross-arm, cross-legged pile driver, all this cool stuff. He couldn't get the job done. And that's going to be the same thing. Like we saw with Okada and Tanahashi. Okada, it took a while for Okada to get the job done in the dome against Tanahashi. And Osprey still, too, he hasn't beaten Okada in the dome as well. And so I definitely think that this is a, a big dome matchup. I think if they could somehow save this till uh, Wrestle Kingdom 2024, a big main event, and Osprey finally beats Okada, I think that would be huge. Well, another thing, too, though, and this is kind of on the other side of the aisle to that uh, argument. I did see people using that argument and saying things like, you know, Osprey's so young, and he is somewhat, relatively speaking, but, like, he's a lot older than Okada was when Okada had that moment. Yep. You know what I mean? And that's one thing. I've seen a lot of people use that argument, and I was like, dude, when Okada came back, he was in his, like, early 20s, and he and by the time that match happened, he'd been back in the company for three, four years. So he was like 24, 25. He was a lot younger than Osprey. But then again, do any of us actually think Osprey is going to be the man in New Japan? And to some degree, no. I don't. I think he'll be a top gaijin, but he's never going to be the guy. You know what I mean? Like, that's just not happening. So it's not even necessarily the exact same comparison he's never going to carry the company like tanahashi or okada have his best case scenario is to be is to reach the kenny status yeah or that's his best case scenario or actually i would say his best case scenario is to step into that role and elevate it to a higher degree than kenny did that's really hard though like that's why i I think that's that's the best case Okay, so you think even higher of it than I do. I think, like, the best case is he can main event domes, he can win G1s, he can be the champion, and, like, he can, you know, and, like, they treat him like a like a 1B even at times. Right. right? You know, like, but I, I I don't think he'll ever be, you know, a 1A or a 1. I just don't think – I just think that it's really hard, and there's always going to be an Okada, and if there's not an Okada, there'll be some somebody that comes along along the way that'll that they'll go with uh from the domestic front that'll be a yeah. great wrestler anyway and so and that'll, that'll be charismatic and all that so well yeah. I'm, I'm just saying oh well, go ahead jeremy so the one thing i think he can do that kenny wasn't able to do was have a long memorable title reign 
Yeah. Uh, Kenny's title reign was. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Kenny's yeah. reign was cut short with them, you know, going to AEW and starting AEW and having to drop the belt to Tanahashi. So I think eventually, if if um, Osprey gets the belt again, they could to really establish him. He could get that, you know, six month to a year long memorable title reign that Kenny never really got. Yeah, and I'm not saying he's going to surpass Kenny Omega, but I'm saying if best case scenario, the best thing he could hope for is what you mentioned, James, like James mm-hmm. like being like a one B, a guy that t- steps into that role and elevates it even higher to higher statuses, has longer reigns, does more with it than Kenny did, which I think that that's where they were projecting Prince Devitt to go before he left the company. They were setting him up for that, and it just never really happened. Maybe it could happen for a Will Ospreay or a Jay White. Uh, we, you know, or a Juice Robinson. Probably not Juice. <laughs> um, <laughs> one, one last thing I will say um, about this match. I thought this match was incredible. I thought it was uh, one of the best uh, G1 finals we've had in like at least four years. Um, I'm like four and three quarters on it. Loved it. Um, I do think it was, I don't know. I think the ratings on it might be a little high. Like I've seen like it, it, right now it's got like a 9.62 on cage match, which is like all time greatest match level status, you know, like a top 10. I don't, me personally, I didn't feel that it was maybe necessarily that high, but in full transparency, I'm usually a little bit lower on this feud and also the Okada Shingo feud than the general populace. Like, I I think these matches are fantastic, but I'm just a smidge lower on them. And um, But I will say this, I thought this was probably the best Okada Osprey match of all time. Yeah, which is saying something. I went five stars on this. It's it's my match of the year right now. Only seconded by their match at Wrestle Kingdom. Um, oh, so you got you got both of those higher than Ishii Tanahashi. Yeah, dude, I I love the Ishii Tanahashi match, but Okada Osprey, man, especially this G One Finals, I think yeah. is for me at least. This is my Claire, you know, match of the year. My number one New Japan for match. New Japan or just overall? Probably both. Mm, I I think I'm still highest on that FTR uh, Briscoe's tag match from Supercard, but it's up there. It's definitely up there. So for me, um, since since the uh, Shuri uh, Utami um, red belt change, I've given two matches five stars. Can you guess which two matches they are? These both, two. Both you, these matches. Yeah, you love these matches. Both 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 Okada Osprey matches from Tokyo Dome and this. Like and like, yeah, I mean, I just think that like these matches have blown me away. Like they're the only matches I've seen this year where like I I when I'm watching watching them, like there's like 15 minutes to go and I'm like chuckling at like in, like incredibly at how like ridiculously awesome these matches are. I'm like, I can't believe these two are this fucking good. Um. Yeah. It, it. This is. This is what I want to see out of professional wrestling at the top of cards. Uh. For for big spots. Um. Like. I mean. Th- for me, this is this would be one and two. If I were to do a like voices of wrestling like match two thousand twenty two match a year, this this would be one and two. Um. I don't know what the rest would be, but like this would definitely be one and two. Um. I'd have to go through uh my like match sheet that I made like a nerd. So yeah. 
Well, nice. Uh, we had a, a question here from uh, Barry Wall. He said, is Okada a troll? So Okada, two years ago, he has the King of Pro Wrestling Award while he's not in the title picture. Last year, he brings <laughs> back the V4 belt and says he's a champ, but not the champ, but is a champ after he wins the V5. He never wanted. Now he doesn't think he should have a briefcase and instead should be guaranteed the title shot at Wrestle Kingdom. Man is a stone cold troll. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Okada's like extremely arrogant and kind of a prick uh, in his like uh, promos and stuff. Um, and not, you know, it's funny. So is Tanahashi. If you pay attention to Tanahashi, he says stuff that like only someone that was extremely arrogant and self-assured would say. But he does it with like this uh, lovability. Yeah, he's with like grace, like a nice, like loving, like smirk. It's like, ah. He's like, ah, it is me, the once in a generation talent, Hiroshi Tanahashi. (laughs) (laughs) He talks about themselves like Uh, that. I mean, I'm I'm waiting for you to point out the lie. It's not a lie. It's just the way he carries himself. But Okada does it in a biting way. Like, he'll be like, oh, yeah. He's he's 97 Bret Hart. Yeah, he's like, like yeah. All, all, year, all year he's been like, man, Noah, I don't give a shit. Like, <laughs> no, you know what? Um, I listened to One Nation Radio today, the show you guys did last night, and you uh-huh. talked about like when Brock was like, I don't watch the show. Why would I? That's the kind of energy Okada carries. <laughs> <laughs> it's, the, it's awesome. Like, this is this is like when I say like the reason why people I think reacting like viscerally during his matches when like he's having like these big matches and against guys that otherwise you think he get cheered for they cheer for him is because like he brings that is like i'm i'm made my job is to get the other guys over so i'm going to be a dick and like yeah. the crowd will naturally adjust like you know I mean you watch this match and like at the beginning of the match like he's working over osprey's neck to get the crowd into cheering for osprey to come back like and then they took it from there like I, the dude's just the dude's just great and like that uh, plays into it like the rainmaker thing, like it can only be so endearing. Yeah. Right. Well, it's you know, and it's kind of cool because I mean, it reminds me in a way of like Tanahashi. You know, Tanahashi had all these, you know, dance partners, and as they got older and he stayed great, they kind of passed by the wayside, and then he surrounded himself with younger, fresher dance partners to carry into the next generation. We saw that with Jumbo Zaruda back in the day, you know, with the uh the pillars and everything like that. So you know, um, now it's Okada's turn. He's not by any means old, but he's got a lot of ring gears on him. And, you know, uh, he's kind of that stopgap between the older generation, Naito and Tanahashi and Goto and all those guys. They're going to, you know, uh, in the next few years, take a step down. And he's got a whole crop of other guys to get over to build for the future of the, the company. Yeah. So yeah, ultimately, great, great main event, great ending to the G1 Climax. Now let's do a, a rapid fire and go through the blocks and give our just kind of a rapid fire grades for each of the guys, and we can give our MVP and each give our top matches of the tournament. Nice. And I did a um, kind of a breakdown based off cage match ratings, just averages for the blocks and top performers, everything like that. I could read that off after that. All right, so let's start in A block, uh, grade for Kazuchika Okada, and we can go James first, Josh, and then I'll, I'll go last. Uh, if I had to give a grade, um, I, I, 
given given some of the stuff he's up against with you know Fale and Yano in there, I'd probably go you know somewhere around a B plus. I'm giving Okada B. I'm also B plus. Uh, Jonah. Uh, for Jonah, um, it's really hard looking. At, it's really hard to like look at these like average star ratings that I'm looking at that I have tabulated, but then like also having to account for like the you know the Fale and Yano effect. Uh, I, I, you know, um, I think at the peak, you could say an A, I think it's some, so I should probably say somewhere like a B, B minus. Cause I think like his, some of the stuff he did at the peak was, was excellent. The other stuff was kind of just, eh. Yeah. I'm going to go B minus, um, for a lot of the same reasons you mentioned, but I feel like some of the, the highs that he experienced are, it's more than just the star ratings. He got over. Yep. Yeah, I'm gonna go a uh, flat B for Jonah. The next up, Lance Archer. Oh, Lance Archer. Um, <laughs> I, I I I love the stuff with I love the stuff with Cobb. I love the stuff with Okada. Like, um, I I, I think I'm gonna go with a B. I'm gonna go B minus on Lance Archer. I feel like he also stayed over with the crowd, but feel like he had some lows, some high highs, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, I'm also going to go B minus. It didn't quite feel like that 2019 G1 where he was breaking out and having all these great matches, but he's still over, still had um, a lot of fun matches. So, yeah, B minus for me. Uh, after that, Jeff Cobb. Oh, uh, Cobb was uh, this block. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess I'll say I guess I'll throw out um, I guess I'll throw out a B again as well. Like I think, um, in my opinion, probably the best match in, in the block was him and Okada um, from a rewatch perspective. But uh, yeah, it was just a, it was a lot of stuff that was felt was out of control. Like, but I, I think that dude is like you know is consistently brings it. It depends on um, you know what the Booker is thinking and his opponents are. I'm gonna go C plus on Jeff Cobb, and it's not totally his fault he had a lot going against him in the tournament but he didn't end up with the best points total he didn't feel more over by the time it was all said and done that's true. so c plus i'm also gonna go c plus and i think too when you look back at last year's g1 where he ran through the block and only lost mm-hmm. to okada compared yep. to the booking that he had this year and it's even the match output compared to last year I think it was kind of a little bit of a disappointment. So I'm going to go for uh, C plus for Cobb. Next up, Filthy Expectations. Tom. Yeah. Uh, Filthy Tom Lawler. I'm also going to go C plus. I don't feel like they gave him the too many opportunities to shine, but I felt like he did as much as he possibly could considering the type of block he was in. And I feel like he did get over to an extent. So I feel like C plus is fair. Um, I'm going to go C minus because like, there's a, it, it seems that there's a difference in like the level of seriousness he wants to have in his matches, like, and strong compared to getting himself doing things that he thinks is going to get himself over, which for the most part, he was right. But things that kind of annoyed me, uh, like in front of the domestic fans, like him doing the, the like the, the forearm strikes in like in like, uh, in, in like pattern with the, like his clap that he's getting over. I, I thought that was like too cute, uh, and, and for times, it, for times it made me roll my eyes. But like, you know, I, I think that um, I thought he was going to come out here like you know trying to, uh, if you will, like get a spot. 
And I don't think he necessarily went out there to do that, but I, I think at times he was fun. Like I really like his match with Okada, for example. But uh, I, I had really, I had really high expectations for him, um, and it, he didn't meet them for whatever reason. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, I'm also going to go C plus. I think kind of like Josh was saying, he did a good job getting over. Got the claps over. Uh, the fans were really behind him. He kind of became this kind of underdog figure. But I agree with you, James. As you know, as a viewer of Strong, I did want to see that, you know, serious uh, guy who was a strong champion for a year and had nine defenses. I, I wanted to see some of that. But ultimately, I think for him, he was more focused on getting over, which is, you know, can't blame it him. It worked. Yeah. He was right. Yeah. He was right. It's just me being, a you know, a dork. That's all. Yeah. So, yeah, C plus for me for, for Lawler. Uh, then bad luck Fale. Oh, I mean F because you know it's Fale. I'm sorry, like the F stands for Fale. I, I I can't I can't pretend like this dude wasn't like he had for me he had a sub two um average star rating. Like I I, I loathed a lot of his matches and the stuff he did and like every I feel I feel like if it wasn't for I, I feel like even Yano had a had a way better uh had a better you know moments than him in this tournament. I, I felt like he was. Yeah. Just, he was just there to drag people into the mud. Fale was the lowest performer of the tournament. F. Yeah, I mean, agree with you guys. Can't go, can't really defend him there. F as well. Then last guy in the A block, Toro Yano. Now I just said that he did better than uh, than Fale. That's because he's a comedy wrestler. But ultimately, like, like I gave this dude one, two. Three like three matches that were sub two for me. Like I'm, I'm sorry. Like I understand it. People like him, and it, it, it is this mythical thing of or of for fictitious fallacy thing of being a night off. Is like so everybody else gets nights off, but nobody else in these blocks get nights off. And like I thought that we had this open, you know, open block type of thing for for the night, so that like people have more rest. Like so, what's the need for a, a Yano on a, on a tournament like this other than comedy relief? He stunk it up again, like he always thinks it up. F. I almost want to go Y for Yano, you know, just giving <laughs> his own grade. Like, uh, why is why is he all in here every single year? That's a but, uh, Y. I'll go D minus. I'm gonna go flat D. It, it, it wasn't he wasn't as bad as Fale, so I can't give him the same grade, but it wasn't great either. So yeah, D. Uh, let's move on to the, the B block, uh, Tamatanga. Tamla for me, uh, given the story of the tournament uh, that he had and beating, having a big upset over Jay White and, you know, proving himself um, against Okada, I, I'd be hard, A minus. I have to, I, have to, I gotta say, like, I, I, I never, I never would have thought that I would enjoy seeing a slate of matches from, from Tamatanga in this way. It totally impressed me. B minus on Tamatanga. I think he had some high highs. He got over large improvement in this year's G1. But he never really did peak at that top level match quality wise that you see that you expect from a, a top performer in the company. I'm gonna yes, go sir. I'm gonna go B plus. I just thought he had a really solid tournament and some of his higher end stuff was really good. The Jay White match, the the Okada match, um and he, like James mentioned just Ishii. The, the Ishii match and just the story too of just that. They told like James mentioned and all finally to come up in, uh, against Jay White. So yeah, B plus for Tama. Uh next up, Jay White. <sighs> um, let me look over this again. Uh I I mean, I 
for me, I've enjoyed him more in this tournament than I have in uh, than, uh let's say 2020. Um, I I feel like he came to play compared to other times, so I I, I would probably say an A. Like, I think he was probably the second best wrestler. He was second best wrestler in his block. So yeah, yeah. even with the stuff that, that still annoyed the hell out of me, like I still yeah. So that by that, you know, A I give him A. And the setup that he had to go undefeated to, you know, put over Tama. Yeah, gotta give him A. Yeah, Jay White, top five performer in the entire tournament, number two in the block. He's an A minus in my book. Yeah, I'm also going to go A minus as well. Um, yeah, I think Jay just had yeah a really good tournament. So uh, Sonata. Uh, um, narratively, he didn't have much going for him um, outside of the the thing that was with Ishii as far as um, you know staying alive for next year. Um, but you know, Sonata is not, he's always going to be solid. Like I gave him a, I have made a three and a half star, uh, average. Um, I, I probably, I probably say like a BB minus. Uh, I could go, I'm going to go C. I could go lower, but, uh, it's just, you know, it's Sonata. He's going to Sonata C mid. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna go C plus. Um, I felt like he was, you know, the the solid, solid, good little hand who's having, you know, <laughs> yeah, he's not so much. <laughs> I mean, he was fine. I mean, he he had good matches, but like, did he get over? Did he like? Was there anything special about his run? Like, did he do anything cool? Like, no. Next up, uh, Tai Chi. Um, for me with Tai Chi, I thought that he had he had fun moments with Ishii like he always does. Um, but you know, he, he he seems uh he seems less over than he was compared to like 2019 or 2020. Um, but I, he was still solid if you will. So I guess I'll go with I guess I'll go with a, a C+. Um, with Tai Chi, I would probably go C+. Plus. Um, you know, he had some high highs, but he, I don't think he had the type of tournament that he's had in the past. Yeah, I'm also going to go C+. Plus. Um, I don't know what, what's going on with him, but for whatever reason, just wasn't, I guess, it, as over as he was in, in previous tournaments, and I don't think match quality was there either. Uh, next up, Chase Owens. Oh boy. Um, given his role in the tournament and what it was supposed to be, I think he did fine. Um, I don't think he did anything outside of what he's supposed to do. So, like, I guess I'll just give it a flat C, call it a day. Yeah, I think, uh, um, I think I might go a C plus for Chase. Um, for Chase, I would probably go. Um, C minus. I could even go D plus. Uh, Chase did not have a good tournament. Um, he had a couple high highs, but generally speaking, I think he really underperformed considering his talent levels. Mm. Uh, next up, great Ocon. Uh, this was weird to me. It felt like they used him. Like maybe this is his last year before he finally you know levels up. But like it felt like they used him uh, almost like in a bit of a. a, a a young guy status whereas like you're going to be somebody that we're looking to use for marketing and all this kind of stuff uh, in the future and maybe your time is um later but for the time being like we need you to you know uh, look up at the mat or look up in the, at the lights uh, a lot um in this and 
Uh, that was surprising for me. So, um, you know, uh, and I also was kind of, I felt like taken aback given like the stuff I heard about him last year in the term he had, like, you know, mashing up with guys based off their particular styles. I didn't really see much of that this year. So um, I'm going to, I'm going to say D. Mm. Yeah, I was not as high on Ocon in this tournament as I was maybe say last year. I felt like he had kind of more breakout performances and and memorable moments. Um, I would just go see because I do think the Jay White match kind of still stands out. And, you know, he had fun things going on in the tournament, but, uh, you know, I wasn't overly impressed and I don't feel like the booking helped him much either. I'm going to go see as well. Yeah, kind of disappointed with the booking. And then, you know, when you look back last year, he had like that, that Ibushi match and some of the other matches that he, the Ishii match that were just really, really good and uh, just didn't get that high output this year. And the booking didn't help either. Um, last guy in this block, Tomohiro Ishii. Oh, A plus. <laughs> Tomohiro Ishii. Like, they 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 booked him like shit. They they played this game like uh where they had on commentary Kevin Kelly and Charlton like you know explaining or adding adding story to the to the last match that had that mean ap- absolutely nothing to the block picture. That like if Ishii doesn't make it, if the Ishii doesn't win, then like he might be on the cutting block and he comes out and gets the win. And he has a moral victory. Like he, he they they made that out of this and like he had so many of the, of uh, he had so many people's best match in this in this uh block and like. I you know uh, a plus just great continues to be great not as great as he once was but still one of the best ever. Ishii a number two performer overall in the entire tournament just great stuff from him all around. Gonna go an A as well for the Stone Pit Bull. I mean Ishii's gonna Ishii and be great. I'm just trying to figure out how come he can't get that plus from y'all. <laughs> but you know because That's what I'm this trying to figure a- out. Because this was a down G1, um, and I don't think that he had the kind of performances overall that weren't an A+. I mean... Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, if you look, look back at his history, I mean... This, uh, yeah, this is nowhere close to the level of G1s he's had in the past. That's true. And um, he's still, like, the number two guy. <laughs> that's true. That's that's kind of why I still gave it an A+. Uh, so moving on to C block, Tetsuya Naito. Let's see what I have for Naito. Um, I feel like his highs were as high as pretty much anybody. Um, I think that a lot of people will like uh, that evil match more than me, but like I've had enough of them to, I never want to see them in a ring together in any way, shape or form. Not even, not even like on a Kobashi talking thing, like years down the line, a decade from now, like in Cork and Hall on an annual produce show. I never want to see them around each other ever again in any circumstance. Um, so, like, as high as his highs were at times, like, that one low just, oh, I hated it so much. But um, he w- he was super solid, and the story of him, you know, getting uh, winning the block at the end, coming back from behind is always compelling, regardless of how much, it, it you know, it keeps happening over and over again. It still ends up being compelling, and I thought he busted his ass from the start of the, of the tournament until the end, so um, I, I'm going to, I'm probably going to go B+. I'll just get, I'll give him a solid B. I think he had a great tournament and a great final. I'm going to go uh, B plus for Naito. Then uh, Zach Saber Jr. He was just he was like consistently 
he was consistently very good. I think the only thing, like, quite frankly, like, I don't know. Did you guys rate his um, his his high speed match with 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 Naito with the final night? No, I, I didn't rate that one. Okay, he actually so like, had, he had two sub five minute matches. In right, this right, right. Yeah, that's where I'm getting at. So like for me, I rated it because like it was a high speed match, like as opposed to like the even match where like he just squashed him. You can't rate it at all, but like you can actually rate that one. So like if I were to throw that one out, like I mean I probably have to go with a I probably have to go with a a minus type of thing. Like he was consistently very good. He for me personally, like his peaks weren't as high as other people's peaks were for me, but like his floor, he probably had he had the highest floor in the entire tournament. I, I believe. Outside of maybe Ishii. Yeah, I'm going to go A for Zack Sabre Jr. Um, you know, you could look at those two anomalies, the Evil and the Naito match, but they were both such highly entertaining squashes that, and also, you know what I mean? Like, they were just so entertaining that they're kind of like, eh. And then you look at the rest of his performances, and I mean, he was consistently great. Um just across the board, like he had banger after banger after banger the whole tournament. So yeah, A. Yeah, I'm gonna go A as well. I just feel like Zach's just on another level right now. And yeah, if you throw out the the squashes, I think the rest of his tournament really uh lends to that A grade. Uh, next up, Hiroshi Tanahashi, the ace. <sighs> yeah, man. Um I I I'm like this is Tanahashi and Goto, like that was one of the reasons why I got, like I'm gonna look back and like I'm really glad that I did all this binging and sitting through that, you know, sitting through like Fale matches is to see something like that. Um do when do when his he's ass, he's still he's still great. He can still have very good matches at, any, at pretty much any point. Um yeah, it, it's it's I, I I probably have to go probably have to go like with a with a B plus. I, I think he was just I think at times he was great. I th- there, was a, there was one little um, thing that I didn't like. I think it was the first match for Anari, but that was like Anari trying to find his footing. But like outside right. of that, I think like I think his last five matches, he was just he was very good as usual. Yeah, I'm gonna go B plus for Tanahashi. I thought he had a fantastic tournament. A couple low lows, but g- generally speaking, he was an incredible performer this year. Yeah, going to go B-plus as well. And, you know, the ace, he almost made us think he was going to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, another another fun tournament from Tanahashi. Uh, Hiroki Goto. A-minus. Like, I, I, look, you know, I, I'm sure you've heard me talk and complain about the tiebreaker situations in, in, in New Japan G1 stuff. And I think like some of the stuff is ridiculous and I don't care about the historical precedents that they've done before. This is the now, like, but at some point, like I literally was rooting for Goto to be evil, to make it a three-way tie in the block. <laughs> <laughs> so, so like he, he did the job for me. So I, I'm, I'm going to give him an A minus. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is, uh, one of Goto's best tournaments in a very, very, very long time. B plus. Yeah. I'm also going to go B plus for Goto. I thought he was kind of right up there with Tanahashi and having, uh, some really strong performances and holding up this block. Uh, next up Kenta. Uh, um, his, they immediately let you know, like, he's not going to be in the hunt. Um, and I do like the story at the end where he closes the door on the person that like put him on the shelf for months. 
Um, I do. I did like that story, and I really liked that match a lot. Um, but you know, really outside of like the Naito match, I really didn't think he had like a match that is, you know, um, you're adding to the career highlight reel of like of this guy in you know his his life as a pro wrestler over the past two decades. So, um, I I probably go with a C C minus type of thing. Uh, but I will say, like you know, his post match stuff that didn't involve like the being in the ring, like he was hilarious. Like him pushing him, him as a book shield is like a, is one of the best gimmicks of the year. <laughs> I'll go C plus on on Kenta. I think I'm gonna go flat C for Kenta. Uh, next up, Evil D. Let's move on. I'll go D plus. I'll also go flat D. Uh, then last in this block, Aaron Hanare. So in the middle of this tournament, uh, while going through the benches, I I messaged you guys. I was like, yo, this dude is better than I thought he was. Like, this is a dude that, like, I, he's welcome back anytime in my book as far as his, some of the matches I saw him have. Um, really enjoyed his match with Goto. Re- I enjoyed his match with Kenta, even though it wasn't, like, some super great match. But, uh, you know, really – Really like what he does. Uh, like the stuff with Saber. He, when he when he cracked Saber, I, I was like, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, um, I gotta say like a gotta say like a C plus B minus type of thing. Yeah, I'm gonna grade on the Hanari curve. First time in the tournament, and maybe he didn't have the same type of matches as other people, but his effort as a whole, he got over uh, in defeat quite a bit. I'm gonna go B minus on him. I think I'm going to go flat B on Hanare. I really enjoyed a lot of his matches and man, those, those strikes are just, just, he sounds off on those strikes. And so I think he's going to keep yeah. getting better and better. Yeah. I hope by now people realize that like I'm grading on a curve, I'm not grading on a, just a standard thing. Like I'm grading on expectations and people's, you know, history in this tournament and stuff like that. So, yeah. And and even still, it's our show. We can do whatever the fuck we want. Well, I, I don't. I, well, I want the people to re- kind of recognize, like, as I'm going, like, you know, they can see the what my pattern actually is, as opposed to like, what is this dude talking about? This person did X, Y, and Z, you right? Know, as a, just a thing, you know. Yeah. All right. Last block here. D block. Will Osprey. Uh, a plus. Yeah, I got Will Osprey A plus. The only person with over. Uh, four-star match average for the whole tournament, which is pretty outstanding. Yeah, A-plus for Will. I think enough said. Uh, David Finley. <sighs> um, I thought that he had some... I, I really enjoyed his stuff with Osprey. I really enjoyed his stuff with Juice. Um, even, even the part where he's front-running at the beginning of the tournament, uh, ultimately, uh, you know, fails. Like, I thought that it was interesting... And like I, I was impressed by the dude because like I never really thought much of him outside of he's just a good wrestler. Um, so yeah, like I, I'd probably go with, I don't know, C plus, B minus, probably C plus. I'm gonna go B minus on Dave Finley, even though um, I felt like he was a tad overrated early on in the tournament. He still got those big wins. He still got over. And you know was consistently good. So for his station, I think B minus is fitting. Yeah, I'm also gonna go uh, B minus as well. Um, I felt like he also those the Osprey match and 
uh, the Juice match and even like the ELP match. He had some really good performances there. Uh, but then some other matches, I think he didn't quite live up to what I was expecting. Uh, so, yeah, I think B minus for him here. Uh, the Dragon, Chingo Takagi. Um, I'd probably go with a probably go with a a minus type of thing. Obviously, I, I'm judging him against his previous standard of like stuff like the 2019 run or the 2020 run, where he was just absolutely just you know sensational. Um, but like you know, I think quite frankly, like for me, for my taste, outside of uh, Osprey and um, Ishii, I, he's probably for me the the second or the third best wrestler in the tournament. Even with all that said, so I'll, I'll go A minus. I'll go B plus on Shingo. I'm also gonna go B plus just because I know, kind of expect expectations. I expected you know kind of a, a killer G one like we got last year. We didn't quite get that, but again, he was the champion last year and he's KOPW this year. So uh, next up, Yujiro Takahashi. I mean, uh, let me pull up to make. I mean, uh, yeah, go ahead and give him that D minus. <laughs> I'm going to give you Jiro the F. Yeah, I'll go F as well. Uh, Yoshihashi. Oh, Yoshihashi. Uh, an unsung hero. We need more Yoshihashis <laughs> in pro wrestling. Um, this fucking guy. Um, I- I'm going to give him a B plus. Like, he comes to play. He versus his ass off. Like, regardless of whatever the situation is, whether he's a person that's fighting for respect or now he's going back and forth with people, the regression he's made over the last two years, and, and uh, Bishamon, like, yeah, he's just a dude that is like rock solid and like has fire and will fight the hell out of you. Like, B. Plus. Bring him, bring him and Goto over, uh, for to, to fight FTR for the, for the, uh, belts. That's what we need. Yeah, I'll give him a B plus as well. I agree. Yoshiashi, very good tournament. El Fantasmo, the headbanger. Uh, I probably go with B plus as well. Um, really happy he's a heavyweight now. Um, really good, really good. Just, just like high, high highs. Um, his lows aren't that bad. So yeah, I go B plus. I'm gonna go B on ELP. I felt like he could have possibly had a more serious tournament. Maybe he had better outcomes, but his highs are really high. But there were some lows that. I, uh, yeah, you're right. Now, yeah, you're right because the juice one was ridiculous. So yeah, I, 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 in fact, you you have convinced me. Lower mine back down to a B. So that B plus. You're, I totally forgot. I totally forgot about that match you mentioned, and I was like, oh, you about that juice match. That I didn't name it, but yes, B, B. Yeah, B. I'm gonna go B. Also, yeah, the juice match and the Udro match were not. Yep. were not great at all. I enjoyed the Udro match because of what because of the ending. <laughs> <laughs> He leaves with Peter. Oh, man. Uh, last guy here in the D block, D block, rock hard, Juice Robinson. C minus. Yeah, I'm going to go C minus on Juice. Uh, this one was perplexing. Yeah. Like, he had a lot of stuff going for him. So, like, I'm not or going against him. So, like, I'm not going to kill him too badly. Uh, like, if he, it, like, you know, but um, I think he's still searching. I th- think he's still searching. Yeah, but James, um, how how long are we gonna say this guy had things going against him? That's like his whole career is things going against him. Like at some point, this is this is weird because like you were defending him to me like you know last week it felt yeah because now, he's great because because he's great he's really 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 great and he should have been having a great tournament that 
you know, reflected how great he actually is. And it's like, I don't know. And all right. All right. Well, well, the thing for me is like, I've never, I've never thought of him as being a great pro wrestler. I've always thought of him being good on the verge of in a person that, that, you know, can't have great matches, but is good and can, you know, vacillates between the line between good and very good as a pro wrestler. So like, for me, I think this is, this is slightly disappointing. And I think to you, you feel like this is very disappointing, but like, but while acknowledging, like he definitely had this stuff set up against him and like, you know, but that, I mean, his lows was, I mean, that match with, with ELP was like, dude, this is this wrong promotion, brother, wrong promotion. Well, here's why we'll kick it to you, Jeremy, and then we'll be done. Um, This is a guy that people were saying he needs to leave the territory. It's time to leave. There's, you know, he's done. Right. That's how we felt. That's how we were talking. They swerve everybody, bring him back. Excitement is at an all-time high. He's going into the G1 with this new gimmick and just all this intrigue, and they just took all that shine and they wiped it right off real quick and then just had him lose and lose and lose. And it's like, what is going on? So whole thing is mind-boggling. I really don't get it. Yeah, I'm also going to go C-minus just the combination of the match quality, the booking. Yeah, like we've talked about, Last week is very puzzling in his whole direction. And I expected with this whole new push, I expected a better tournament. So, yeah, C minus. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Nice. So a couple things I just uh, got off of um, Cage Match very quick. So I did a, a analysis of calculating all the match averages from all of the grades. Um, basically the grades I got for each block, a block came out to a 5.82 average, which is about three stars. B block came out to 6.86 C block came out to 6.93. And then the top performing block D block 6.96. So they ended up all around like that three and a half star average. But, however, there was an anomaly. We talked about it with Zack Sabre Jr. in the C block. He had two matches that were sub-five minutes. Those sub-five-minute matches, kind of hard to grade. I kind of threw in a six just as a a placeholder. If you take those out of the equation, um, because they were highly entertaining squashes, it actually raises the C block to a 7.03, making it the top-performing block of the entire tournament, which is pretty much right in line with what we'd said last week on the show. Um, the MVP of a block mathematically was Okada in B block. It was Ishii in C block. It was Tanahashi and in D block. It was Osprey. The one caveat Zack Sabre jr. Those two squashes. If you take away those squashes and you look at his mathematics, he actually was trending to be the number two performer overall for the entire tournament 
aside from those two, you know, matches. So he would have been the C block MVP if not for those sub five minute matches. The bums of each block were Fale, Owens, Evil, and Ujiro. And I guess it's no coincidence that's the collective House of Torture slash Bullet Club collective that we have today. So um, bottom five performers of the tournament. Number one, Fale. Number two, Yano. Number three, Ujiro. Number four, Evil. Number five, Jonah, which kind of makes sense based on the grades that we kind of gave him. He had some high highs, but there's quite a few lows there. And he ended up with like a mm-hmm. 6.11 uh, star average. Um, top 10 performers mathematically, according to cage match. Number 10, we had ELP. Number nine, we had Goto. Number eight, Zack Sabre Jr. Number seven, Naito. Number six, Shingo. Number five, Jay White. Number four was Tanahashi. Number three was Okada, who before his finals against um, uh, Osprey. Osprey, he was not even in the top five. That match skyrocketed him, so uh, did him a lot of favors. Number two was Ishii with 7.70 average, and then the only guy with the eight uh, higher average was Osprey with 8.30. According to Cage Match, the top 10 matches were Finley and Juice, number nine, Osprey and Yoshihashi, number eight, Goto and Tanahashi, number seven, Shingo and Yoshihashi. Number six, Kenton Zack Sabre Jr. Number five, Jonah and Okada. Number four, White and Ishii. And then the top three are kind of in a grade of their own, all having over nine uh, point averages. Osprey Naito, number two, Shingo Osprey, And then number one, Okada Osprey. The one caveat, our very own Jeremy Donovan, who is a fair and reasoned star grader, he has Ishii and Taichi at four and a half, which would be placed higher than most of these matches. But Cage match was a little bit lower on that one. Um, the best block match, according to cage match, for each block in A block, it was Jonah Okada. In B block, it was White Ishii. In C block, it was Kenta ZSJ. And in D block, Shingo Osprey. Yeah, I mean, for the most part, I'm pretty, pretty much in agreement with a lot of that stuff. Yeah, I, I'm in agreement with most of that stuff. You know, I... The the saber stuff at the at the peak, um, it, it I I it doesn't for my taste it kind of you know leaves me cold uh, compared to other people. But like I I think his floor I think you know I think his floor outside of like Ishi was was higher than anybody else's in the tournament. So yeah, I, so like it doesn't shock me that he was he was higher than me. But like you know because like I still had him high even while thinking like looking at like cage match stuff, thinking like oh people will have this higher than me while still keep you know cranking out like fours and three and three quarters for them all time Hmm. yeah all right so that concludes the the block discussion with the the grades top matches mvps got a couple questions here and then we'll move into some other quick items uh so we had a question from discord from user white says uh who is your way too early prediction to win the g1 next year am i going first yeah oh osprey it could be Okada. <laughs> I mean, if you want to do like no one's ever three-peated and, you know, he, he does the legendary five, you could do Okada. But I, I, just because it's so early, I'll just say Osprey. Yeah, Osprey makes the most sense based off what we were saying earlier, too. Kota Ibushi. <laughs> like, I, I, like, 
like last year, I thought that Osprey was winning this year's G1 too. So like, I'm going to keep saying Osprey until he finally wins, and I'll be finally be right eventually. Here's my way See? way too early finals. Osprey Shingo. Mm. CM Punk. <laughs> Can you imagine CM Punk the G1? He die. <laughs> oh. oh my gosh. Um, is another question. And after their great showings in the G1 this year, what do you think will be the plans for Osprey and Tamatonga up to and including Wrestle Kingdom? Well, Osprey is going to wrestle Omega in the Dome. I'm convinced of that. You can't convince me otherwise. And uh, Tamatonga is going to lose the title defense. And then, uh, you know, I'll find some cool shit for him to do. I, I don't know. Well, if uh, Tangaloa's healed by then, I'm sure they'll be involved probably in the tag title picture. Yeah. Do we know how how long he's out for? I don't know. I know it was a knee injury, but it's been kind of hush-hush on what exactly the knee injury was and how long it's going to be out. Well, if you wanted to set up a, a feud that FTR would probably love, it, it could be FTR versus G.O.D. at the Dome. I mean, that's what I want. I, w- I, w- I would like to see uh, FTR, G.O.D. in the Dome or, or FTR in, in Bishiman in, in the Dome and, like, FTR get those belts back. Yeah. There's always dangerous um, checkers too. That, that's that's true. That's true. Um, that would be even better because I, you know, like checkers is like one irrationally one of my favorite tag teams of the last few years. Um, well, not irrationally, they're great, but uh, I really like I like them even more than y'all did. Like those matches with Golden Aces. Um, uh, if he stays single as a singles guy, I could see eventually him having a, a program with Evil. Unfortunately, but whatever. Maybe uh, uh well he's already facing Jay and he's gonna lose. Maybe he does something else with the Bullet Club. Yeah, that could happen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ryan Evans asks, do you guys prefer G one climax or normal knockout tournaments like 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 say King of the Ring? Doesn't matter as long as it's good wrestling and you know. My main thing is like I I just don't like when it's booked in a way to where the guys fuck off and it's just uh you know a waste of time but if they're having like banger matches i don't really care either way um you know I, there's no there's no knock against you know single round elimination tournaments but it's it is more fulfilling seeing like everybody you know take on half of the field and then you know face the other half's winner or that sort of thing or you know what what happened with what the, that's the old uh the prior years, you know, layout of a, of a G1 this year's layout is similar. It's like, you know, you take on a section of the competition uh, and you get out the block and then you go, you know, through a, ter- a four person tournament. Um, I find it'd be more fulfilling. And, you know, over the years, like for me watching these G1s over the years and the finals and, and that kind of stuff, it, those guys, if they go through that kind of grind and also, you know, or people in general was also, you know, five-star Grand Prix, like seeing those people go through those kind of grinds end up on top. Like a lot of people feel like, you know, in a way legendary to me going through like that kind of grueling thing. So it feels far more earned um, than going through, you know, a King of the Ring or, uh, you know, or, you know, Cinderella tournament or Princess Cup, that sort of thing for me. I really enjoy round robin tournaments, but I think it really all depends on the talent that you have and kind of what they're fighting for. Because, for example, Super Junior Tag League, I don't think that tournament needs to be uh, a round robin. I think that should go back to being 
a single elimination tournament. Because those tournaments when they were single elimination were much better. But a, a G1, a Best of Super Juniors, a Stardom Grand Prix, I think all those are great as uh, round-robin block tournaments. Um, his last question here, who from AEW would you like to see in the G1 Climax next year? Try to name five if you can. I mean, there's a lot of talent over there. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, we could probably name people all night. Uh, I mean, the names that just popped in my mind immediately would be uh, Claudio Casagnoli, Brian Danielson, um, Eddie Kingston, um, freaking Kyle Riley, and... I don't know. Um, maybe Miro. Okay, so for me, I think the first person I would name would be Kenny Omega. Um, <laughs> so, 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 Kenny Omega, Danielson, O'Reilly, uh, as you mentioned, uh, Claudio, and um, you know, I, I, I would throw in someone like a Malachi. Those are all great names. There. Uh, also, you know what? I wanted to say Paige. Oh, Adam Page, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, he, like, because, you know, he teased a thing, and that was all, you know, in part of getting to the four-way at Forbidden Door, but, like, I want to see him, you know, I want to see him, like, you know, in that, that same kind of Osprey prove-it stage thing with Okada. Like, I would love to see that. And, you know, they like each other, so they're friends and everything, so, like, I would love to see them on a big stage again, have a big singles match, maybe at a Forbidden Door in a year or two or whatever else, or eventually down the line, but like, I want to see them have a big singles match. Now that page is on another level compared to 2018. Yeah. I'd if, say. Hangman, if, if Hangman ever returns, Suzuki is coming back for vengeance. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I say Kenny Omega pack, Brian Danielson. Ooh, that's good pack. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would go with, um, I just blanking, blanking on names now. Uh, yeah, I'd probably go hang, Hangman. What? I said Max Caster. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd go uh, Hangman Page as well. And I mean, yeah, there's so many great talents there. That, yeah. Uh, uh, Sw- uh, Keith Lee. So, yeah, Keith Lee. Ooh, yeah. The, I mean, you know, that, you know that story about, like, Keith Lee and Riddle, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We, that almost happened. That stuff yeah. almost happened. That's and, crazy. And after the Ishii matches in, you know, Rev Pro, I'm like, dude, you got, that would be so awesome. And the way the crowd reacted to Jonah and some of these big guys, like, they would go crazy for Keith Lee. Right, because he's better than them, yeah. You know, I don't think he could do it because I don't know if his body could hold up, but what if he, like, got amazing immaculate shape and just, like, really focused his energy to do it? Like, you send over Samoa Joe. I, I think he's a little too far gone for it at this and, stage. And he of the just game. has chop matches with everybody. That's all he does. Just chop matches. <laughs> I, I I get what you're saying, right? And like the match he had with Suzuki uh, earlier this year was awesome. Um, I just think it's I I just don't think that he can hold up to doing that to the, the even even at the at the level of like where he is now, like doing it um, on a tour like that consistently. Well, let's see. Let's see if he breaks down. <laughs> I mean, it's something. Look, I, I mean, I don't know. I have to. I, I don't know the cage match thing or whatever else, or, or if it's actually happened. But like, I definitely want to see him in Ishii. It's um, never happened. I, I want to see that in some in some capacity no. somewhere. Like whether Ishii comes over here, you know, at some point again. 
I, I want to see that eventually. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, talk now about some kind of post G1 stuff. So first, Wrestle Kingdom 17. New Japan announced for the first time in four years, Wrestle Kingdom will be a one-night event in 2023. Of course, it'll be taking place at the Tokyo Dome on Wednesday, January 4th, and they also announced the return of New Year Dash, which will happen the following day, January 5th. New Year Dash will be in the Oto Ward Gymnasium in Tokyo on Thursday. Also, we have some questions here from Rambone Slam Pig. With a trend all year to pad out tours of extra dates and sell as many tickets as possible, what do you think caused a reversal to a one-night Wrestle Kingdom? If we got a super stacked show like the good old days, I'm here for it. One answer and one answer alone, and it's very simple. They cannot sell enough tickets to warrant two nights or any more nights because they're not under the restrictions they were before They'll probably be able to sell a lot more tickets and it would be a financial disaster for them to do more than one night at this juncture of their business. Yeah. How many tickets did they sell for night two this year? Was it like 12,000? Uh, I think that was night one. Night two, I think was like 6,000. Okay. I got it totally wrong. But either way, like th- that, that that's embarrassing. They can't do that again. So, right. um, yeah, they, they can't do that again. Obviously, we know the reason why they did it. And it's less embarrassing then than it is now, like under these rules and, and, and things that are dealing with, they can't do it. Uh, so, yeah, like, you know, I was I was surprised to, f- to learn that it was just uh, Oda City Gym. I thought it was going to be like, I thought it was going to be like, probably, you know, I know they, they don't, they don't, they kind of hold it to where they keep the G1 final stuff for the boot for Budokan. But I thought like maybe they could have, squeezed in a Budokan size venue or sumo hall or something, but they decided to go with, with Oda because Oda's smaller for, than for both New of those Yeah. For New Year's Dash. Yeah. Yeah. The New Year's Dash was uh, historically just in Corkin. So I think that's right. bigger. So that's still bigger it, than what they typically would have done. It, it is. I thought that, but I thought that like there would have been a demand for a bigger step than Oda in something that where they could sell more tickets than Oda, but not, but I don't think they were necessarily going to sell out like, uh, Budokan or Sumo Hall that they ran Sumo Hall, but they would have they could have sold enough tickets to where it'd been more people in in the building than selling out Oda. Yeah, and I think also it's, it's a smart business move. You, you have to scale back in order to kind of recoup and grow. Like yeah. Josh mentioned, it'd have been a bad business that they had to continue to try and do two, three, four, five nights of Wrestle <laughs> <laughs> <Russell> Kingdom. <laughs> so this was the right call. I guess I'm hoping we're getting, you know, a super stack show like we got um, in kind of this golden era of New Japan. Yeah, creatively, this is super exciting. We don't have to have a convoluted mess of a main event scene to get to the multiple nights and yada, yada, yada. Um, I know I was a proponent of it. I just don't think that it, they exercised it the way that I potentially envision them doing it. So it's fine. But, uh, you know, if it, if this means we're getting a six hour show, the one hour pre-show and the five hour long show, and it's all the titles and all the super matches and we bring in the outsiders and all that shit. And we have, you know, the top end matches that are built for months and months leading up to the show, like, Hell yeah, give that to me. Nature sealing itself. Let's go. <laughs> Nature sealing itself. Uh, he also asked with double gold dash seemingly done and Naito left in the cold after the G1, what's next for him? 
He is still a top star, but is showing his age. His storyline seemed to revolve around getting to the main event at the Dome one last time. But is he out of time and knees? <laughs> He's not out of time. He'll get another run uh, with one with the belt. And, you know, uh, but, yeah, um, that kind of is seemingly the same story as Groundhog's Day every year. Like, the, like yeah. it's almost like a, it's almost like you're, you're a fan of like a bad, bad of a bad football franchise, and you're like, it's it's you know it's it's fall or spring. You know, sorry, yeah, it's it's like training camp, everything, and like you start zero and zero, and it's only seventeen games at this stage in NFL, and you just like it's just a new year, and like you know sometimes the years are better than other ones, but like you're still like one of you're still one of those things where like. More times than not, it's not gonna happen for you. But like, I think there's one more run in him for the belt. But like, I, you know, I, I think it's sooner than later. Like, it's definitely gonna happen next two years. He's gonna do another shot with it. But like, I think after that, like, then he's he turns into like 2000 or like spring 2019 Tanahashi after that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Long term, I mean, I think that him being involved in the tag scene for the time being may or may not be a good or positive indication that he's got, you know, a singles title sort of uh, future in front of him in the, you know, for the dome. I don't know. But uh, at the same time, like I said earlier, could they still do Jay White no caught in the dome come January 4th? Sure. Is there a possibility amongst those tile defenses that it could be Naito and he could win? It, I'll say it this way. I can't think of anybody in new Japan right now that, could upset Jay White from taking the title before January 4th, other than Naito. There's no one else in my mind that actually makes sense business-wise other than him. So do I see that as being a possibility? I do. Um, but if they don't go with it now, they might still give him a run at some point, but it just, the, the more time dwindles, the more it feels like, yeah, you should shit or get off the pot, you know? Yeah. I have a question. I have a question. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Jeremy. I was going to say that um, with Naito, I think that I agree with Josh that he is kind of like the only guy that can really potentially win the belt before the Dome. When you think about it, like, okay, Okada's set for the main event. Like, what is the big match? And I, honestly, I feel like you don't want to run Osprey back right away. So, like, Naito, Jay White are, like, the two guys that, have history and would draw and would be big business. Like, I don't think there's anybody else on the roster right now that you could have the main event wrestling the match with Okada, except, I mean, I guess you could do Tanahashi. Um, but <laughs> I feel like they've kind of killed that. Yeah, they've killed that one off. Yeah, my question was going to be like, let's say Naito does, um, you know, Pull a Jay White on Jay White and instills it post uh instills the, the you know the the uh Tokyo Dome main event from somebody after the G1. Like and then they do in fact do Okada uh Naito Tokyo Dome four. Like at what point is like the next match that they they do like gonna be something they throw into main event at, basically be like all right we're done trying to move that on big shows like that is now like essentially like the tanahashi uh okada 2019 g1 in dallas type of thing where we put that out there just to uh, just to attract like you know american suckers like <laughs> they, they've, already, like, 
they've already started to do that this year. I mean, we've seen them wrestle three times this year, which is pretty rare. And we've seen yeah. them wrestle a lot in the past. My yeah. feeling is that if they do this now, it's the last gasp of getting anything out of the match because the marketability of it's only going to go downhill from here. Okay. There, there is no, there is no future for that match for them to do it again. And there's some people like, I know Rich listening. He's probably like, fuck it. Don't do it. I don't want to see it anyways. I've seen it four <laughs> times. So, you know, and there's probably some people that feel that way. So, but I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't personally want to see it because it's like, I, I've right. never, I've never given, I've never seen one of their matches and thought like, this is a match. This is actually a legitimate match in your contender. This is a five-star match. I've never seen it out of those two. They, uh, they just have, they have some, they just have some really weird, uh, thing I know people think the 2000 or people feel that way about 2020. I don't, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't like because it's, it's only tied to oh, my favorite one, yay! It's not uh, about like that. That no. match was better than the match, that match is incredible. Yeah, the story of that match, the, that match is incredible. Yeah. I, it, I, I, I take the Osprey uh, Okada stuff or the Okada uh, like the Omega uh, Naito stuff, like. I feel like both of those guys have, have better rivalries with people than each oh. other for some strange reason. A I agree too. Yeah, they, I'm right they, there with you. Yeah. But that match is yeah. incredible. <laughs> uh, next thing here, we got cheering coming back to Cork and Hall. So after years of waiting, Cork and Hall will finally see fans cheering once again on September 5th and 6th with a reduced capacity which will allow for the first vocal atmosphere in a New Japan match since February of 2020. So on September 5th, the team of Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kazuchika Okada will take on Jonah and Shane Haste of TMDK. And the opening match on the 5th will be Norzuki versus my new favorite wrestler, Bad Dude Tito, which should be a fun opening contest there. Then on September 6th, Shingo and Hiromi will take on ELP, and Kenta in the main event. Also on this Burning Spirit tour, we're going to have the debut of Gideon Gray joining United Empire. Hikaleo will be a part of the tour as well. Alex Coughlin was announced for the tour, but he said on Twitter that he's still injured and will not be in Japan. Eugene Nagata will be having his 30th anniversary match on September 11th versus the Great Okan. And on September 18th, there will be the uh, never open weight six man tag titles with chaos defending against the House of Torture. James, you have uh, thoughts on the the Corkins? Uh, yes, but I first wanted a question. Like, so with with Coglin out, can like is it too late to call Fredericks to come replace him? <laughs> 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 but uh, yeah, uh, I, I was thinking of just like uh, I was going to ask you, like, do we know what the percentage restriction is in Corkin uh, for these shows? I don't know. I don't. I don't. Okay. I've heard a few different things, so I'm. I'm not sure. I wasn't confident enough to like report it on the show. Okay, young boy. Any thoughts for you on Cleese Corkins? I, I think it's gonna be exciting. Um, you know, hopefully it continues. I don't want it to be like, okay, here's a little taste. Now we're gonna take it away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so all that on the Burning Spirit is gonna build to the the Burning Spirit in Kobe on September 25th. The main event, IWGP U.S. title on the line. Will Ospreay will defend against the Rebel David Finley. Semi-main event, never openweight champion Carl Anderson will defend against Hiroshi Tanahashi. The IWGP junior tag team titles will be on the line against TJP. Oh, the champions TJP and Francisco Okara will defend against Taguchi and Master Wato. 
Jay White and Taiji Ishimori versus Tama Tonga and Kushida from a rematch from the G1. Kuzuko Okada, Makabe Hanma versus Jonah, Shane Hayes, and Bad Dude Tito. Naito and Sonata versus Saber and Taichi. Cobb Okan versus Fale and Chase. Toriano versus Doc Gallows. And then the opener will be Shingo, Hiromu, and Bushi versus ELP, Kenta, and Hikaleo. So it should be a fun uh, tour there. We had a question from the Dark Soldier. It says, Destruction was a show on September, but considering it hasn't been a thing given the G1 taking its spot the previous years, and with Burning Spirit on September, I guess one can say Destruction has been destroyed? Um, well, this year, obviously, being the 50th anniversary, none of the almost all of the tours have been renamed to classic, uh, you know, names from years past. So don't be surprised if maybe, say, next year they either revamp all these events or they go they revert back to the more traditional names that we're used to from modern times. But uh, essentially, Burning Spirits Tour is Destruction Tour. Right. And then in October, we're going to see Declaration of Power on October 10th. and that A.K.A. Will... K.O.P.W. Yeah, and that'll be at uh, Sumo Hall of, of a traditional national sports holiday event back on the calendar. New Japan wrote this time at NJPW continues to revive classic tour names from our 50th year history. Declaration of Power is back from being a regular series through the late 1990s and early 2000s. So scheduled for that show so far. We'll have the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion Jay White defending against Tama Tonga. And Kazuchika Okada will be taking on Jonah. It is not for the briefcase because there is no briefcase. So it'll just be a grudge match. I saw where Jonah was like, if I beat this guy, I should get the title shot. And I saw someone joking on, online. They're like, Okada is such a troll that if Jonah does beat him, he'll be like, you do deserve a title. Go challenge Jay White for his belt. <laughs> But I'm still going to be in the dome on the fourth, regardless. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Oh uh, and also, uh, yesterday we had the, uh, or I guess it was this morning, actually, the uh, the press conference for the NJPW uh, Time Stardom Historic Crossover. So four matches have been announced for this uh, show coming up on November 20th. So in the press conference, they announced that there will be three mixed tag matches for the show. Filthy Tom Lawler is getting his dream match. He's teaming up with Shuri <laughs> to take on Zack Sabre Jr. and Julia. The ace, Hiroshi Tanahashi, will be teaming up with Utami Hay- Hayashista to take on Hiroki Goto and Makai. And uh, El Desperado, Doki, and Starlight Kid and Momo Watanabe will take on Yoshinobu Karamaru, Taichi, that's a poi and Tam Nakano. Yeah, real quick. Uh, it's Goto and Micah. 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 Yeah. See, that's that's what we need a doctor on here. Get get these uh, names. Get these names correct. See, see. <laughs> <laughs> surgery with the names. Uh, also, uh, the IWGP Women's Championship Tournament Finals will be decided to crown the first champion. Uh, so James, and F- there was actually a few announcements surrounding that um we posted a photo of the release from tokyo sports they showed the um first photo of the new iwgp women's title it's designed after the v2 version of the iwgp belt that hashimoto made famous so 
that information's out there. It's on our Twitter. You can see it there. And they also announced that there's going to be international names included in the tournament, which I think originally the thought was that it was all stardom exclusive. And there's going to be an international branch of the tournament that will start during the Royal Quest portion of the tournament over in England. So I'm guessing maybe we might be seeing some English talent. Um, Rossi did make an announcement that there's one big non-Japanese woman's name that is included in the tournament. Nobody, There's a lot of speculation, but nobody knows exactly who that mystery individual is just yet. James, what are your thoughts on these announced matches so far? Um, they all make sense given um, like some of the uh, crossover synergistic stuff they've done between New Japan and Stardom. Like they've always had Desperado and Starlight Kid like hanging out with each other uh, backstage during some of these um, like, let's say, Rust Kingdom uh, this year in particular. Um, and even going back to um, like 2020, uh, like, in the, you know, getting back into a post of the shutdown in Japan, like getting back into the swing of things uh, wrestling wise and empty stadiums and that sort of thing. Like it was all they always had like Tam Nakano like doing social media and YouTube stuff with Tai Chi back and forth and even playing pranks on other cosmic angels with, with uh, Tam Nakano. So uh, it makes sense that uh, those particular two new Japan star stardom pairings are together. As you mentioned, like Tom Lawler took to watching stardom after watching um, the, you know, the, the famous uh, last summer's uh, match with for the red belt against uh, Utami. So like in Shuri, so like he's always taking liking to Shuri He's always made these jokes about Shuri's being such a dangerous ass kicker that like he would never want to wrestle her even in the intergender match. And Shuri like through Google translation, like talking back and forth and them sharing their like uh their bond over her wrestling, like it makes sense that these pairings have happened. Um Tanahashi and, and Tommy, like, you know, ace, you know, people that are ace-like, that makes sense. So yeah, like a lot of this stuff is things that just naturally make sense. The Julia and um, Zack Sabre Jr. thing is kind of just like a bit thrown together, but they'll make it work because, the, you know, it's Sabre and it's Julia. Nice. We had a few questions here. PR says, Dr. Joshi, please fancy book the IWGP women's title match at Wrestle Kingdom. Who's in the match and what is a likely outcome? Will we see more Stardom title matches at Wrestle Kingdom? Okay, my name's James, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, um, given that there is a you know a quote unquote mystery person that they're that they're putting you know big stakes into, I'm assuming that person is going to advance to the final from the uh, foreigner perspective or the uh, uh, um, what is the name of the um, the UK show Royal Quest Royal Quest, Royal Quest. yeah. Uh, through, through the Royal Quest side, I feel like that person is going to advance, and I think they're going to face Mayu in uh, in the final for the uh, IWGP Women's Title. As for but like for Wrestle Kingdom, there's oh. going to be there's going to be the first major title defense at Wrestle yeah. Kingdom. So I'm guessing you think Mayu is going to be the first champion. She's I believe I believe that she'll be the first champion. Um, Who would you fantasy book her for that? And I'm I mean I'm assuming it could be someone from Stardom, but you know, there's probably leeway. They could do an outsider if they really wanted to, since it's New Japan. I don't know. Um, 
I haven't really thought out that far because there's already a, so many like moving parts of the um of the IWGP Women's like an, inaugural tournament. Um, but uh, I I, 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 I would say I was uh, okay. So I think Britt Baker is probably going to be the person that's going to be in the inaugural tournament, right? Ew. <laughs> I, I, I don't i don't necessarily disagree but um she she has worked in stardom before uh f- five years ago um and she has like been you know in interviews talking about how much she respects and admires mayu and thinks that mayu is a genius um and like you know at times during the you know the idea of a of stardom in uh aw talent being floated along um in AEW talent coming to stardom the word was for a while that it was that they were thinking of bringing back people that were international talents that had already worked in stardom so people you know think tony storm um and i i don't know like i think i think there's going to be someone like a tony storm or it's going to be someone like a Britt baker quite frankly uh right. as far as the iwgb title uh the first defense in tokyo dome uh for one four I think I think they'll probably go with um they'll probably go with somebody that's not the red or white belt champion that's in their top six. So that could be a that could be a you know a Tam Nakano, that could be a Julia, that could be a Shuri, that could be an Utami. Um could do Kyrie. They could do Kyrie. I think Kyrie would be a big one, but like it depends on Kyrie's schedule because like I don't know if Kyrie is up for touring. I mean, obviously it's just a defense, so maybe she loses it's but just a big they, defense. They, they have, Yes, but yes, but also like they're they're also doing this thing where like they're keeping Kyrie from taking any losses for now. So mm-hmm. they're building up towards towards putting over somebody that's not already established in the top like four. Uh, it seems so. I, I it, it depends on the timing of all this stuff because she was going to have a a white belt match this past weekend, but she was uh, scratched at eleventh hour, and people presume it was COVID jail. This is probably impossible, but I'm just wondering with. Uh... NXT UK shutting down. I wonder what Miko's, uh, you know, contract status is looking like. I I believe. Well, I don't know. Like she wasn't on the these uh, 2.0 shows, and like I, you know, there, you've heard word that like a lot of people that weren't, or almost most people that weren't, you know, brought over immediately are probably getting axed. But um, you know, he has no problem, or Rossi has no problem with you know um, Mako. Like she was a champ. She was the Red Bull champion in 2015. Um, right. That would no. be like that'd be like a generational kind of cool thing if you wanted to have a big name that means something that could eat the loss. You could do her at Wrestle Kingdom, possibly. That'd be cool. Yeah, you could, and that would be cool. And also, like I've also, you know, Mako's also handed Mayu her 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 ass back then. Um, I, you know, but Mako's also from the generation that ain't really up for losing that much. It, it would depend, it, so it, it would it would also depend on it would also depend on a lot of things on how this valuable you know how how value it it would depend on how valuable you know it it, will, it would be worth it for her to do so. I imagine like it, I, I think it's possible. It depends on how much is is worth to her. But I would love to see it because like you know Mako's still great. Uh, Hawaiian Punch BB asks, can you come up with some names for the pairings of New Japan Stardom wrestlers at the crossover show? Team UFC, Beautiful Techers, Waterfall Buddies? I, I, I'm I have to sit this one out. I don't even... I, I'll be putting names to faces and okay. characters to, to the names. Okay, like, so watching, Waterfall so. Buddies has to be Guttle and Micah, right? Because, like, Micah... Uh, and he's, la- he sits under a waterfall. 
so Godo's done that, and then Micah at the end of last year with her uh, two other fr- uh, two other teammates in their uh, trios uh, championship uh, team, like they went to a waterfall um, and went underneath the water, uh, like in preparation for their defense in a, in a tournament on pay per view for the tr- defending their trios belts and were successful. So I think that's the waterfall thing. Uh, team UFC, that's obviously Shuri and and Lawler because they were both in UFC at one point. Um, what was the other team? Beautiful Techers <laughs> <laughs> to Julia and Saber. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, uh, I, I mean, mean he, he asked us a question, then gave us all the best names, and then expects us to like outdo him. How, how are we gonna? Yeah, do it? yeah. Just off the just off the top of the dome, we was to come up with better pun names. I don't I, look. Um, I don't know what I would say is like if you guys will really like, uh, you know interesting goofy names like i guess he go to the tokyo joshi pro like team name generator like they they have fun ones uh th- I, i'm not that good i just i'm not that good i'm sorry uh but yeah i think those are all pretty good ones yeah then uh rambo and slam pick says i'm interested to hear all your thoughts and especially james about the blending of talent from njpw and stardom will impact both brands do you think it will stay as u.s shows and dark matches at big events or will there be more blending in japan um, I, I think that there'll be more blending in the terms of they might decide that this thing is successful to whatever extent and try to do it more than once a year. And that'd be cool with that. Like, I don't, uh, once or twice a year is cool. Similar to like my feelings I have for forbidden door. Um, like, cause I mean, you do it once or twice a year, you're never going to run out of matchups. Um, I, as far as, um, as, as far as everything else, like, it's never going to happen, and I understand why it's never going to happen, but, you know, we, we've all seen intergender wrestling here, and we've seen intergender wrestling in Japan historically and what it actually is, and where it's like, it's actually, everybody can do anything to everybody else, just like a regular tag match of just as if we're all everybody of the same gender, and like those, I gotta say, like those, uh, those matches for me are more entertaining and interesting than the matches where they have to come up with convoluted ways to get in and out and then like it ruins the ability to actually build hot tags in a in a way that makes a lot of sense so um and it so like for me you know um they'll be fun they'll come up with fun things to do and i'm sure there's be good shows and I, and I quite frankly i think that uh the the matches that are outside of the mixed tag stuff that will be on the car will also be like the best stuff on the card. So I think it'll be, I think there'll be a, a damn good, damn good show. But um, yeah, I, I, I think that this is kind of where we're, we're going to go like me once notch further. And that's kind of where it stops. Uh, I mean, I already kind of expressed a lot of my concerns and thoughts uh, about this a few weeks ago. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, um, you know, everything that they pitched so far, if they do exactly what they're pitching, it's nothing but upside. You know what I mean? I mean, having a, a title that can be showcased across both brands on major shows, that's great. It gives exposure to both fan bases. Um, crossover shows are really fun. The mixed tags is really fun. Them having a, a home in the U.S. so that talent from both companies can do tours and shots and dates and become and expand awareness to the West as well as you know, have the talent travel and everything like that. That's all really great. So 
Um, even if they decide to do more blended shows down the road, um, you know, even if hypothetically it led to even a women's division within New Japan, those are all good things. None of that is negative. My only concern, and it's been my one concern from day one, and it's not necessarily the most likely thing, but I just don't want it to be something where Joshi gets swallowed up by, uh, you know, a monolith like New Japan. That's my only concern. Other than that, everything else is all positive. So, yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to this this big show coming up, and I think that we are going to see more blending in Japan. Kind of with the press conference, you know, they, New Japan they say they're trying to move forward with the times, and they're trying to be like their partners in America, like AEW and Ring of Honor, and have women display on the show. So, I think we're going to continue to see the blending. I think you know your your Dominions, your Wrestle Kingdoms. Uh, some of your bigger shows, I think we're going to see obviously the IWGP women's title and maybe some other uh, matches on those undercards. And so, yeah, I think it's definitely going to be integrated. I don't know if we're going to get a whole division, but I, I think that we'll definitely see integration and have these uh, world title matches. Yeah, I'm up. To, I'm up for anything short of like a women's division in New Japan Pro Wrestling that takes away from stardom. Same. Quite frankly. Right. I, I'm the same way. My only concern is this belt. This belt is going to be confusing to a lot of fans. I think uh, on both sides, because you look at the belt and the first thing is number one, it's got IWGP on it. And, you know, historically speaking, though, those initials mean top title, top title in Japan. And, especially for Western audiences. But I, I even think in Japan too, there's going to be those people that are looking at that and they're like, look at that belt. It looks really great. It's Hashimoto's old design. You know, it harkens to this, you know, lofty lineage. How is that not the top title versus the red or the white belt? You know what I mean? And that, I don't know. I don't know if that was the best decision I, for them to market it that way. I, I think that, I think that it's, I, I think that it's a bit overstated on how um, confusing it can be. Like once you once you explain, like, hey, they got these two belts um, that are that you know more or less are like a, their top two titles. They're making this other belt that will almost never be in that promotion. It's for this other thing, and some of the roster from this particular roster will be wrestling for it over there. Like the separation makes the separation makes it less confusing to me. Um, I, I I like. If you are a stardom fan, this will not confuse you at all. You already know what these belts are. This is another belt that will be over there, and you might see it once a year. Um, right. Now, for the for uh, the, if they the, follow through, yeah, yeah. If now if it's um if they stick with it, you're right. Now, if it turns now from the um, new Japan fan perspective that sees these women like once a year or or not once a year, but like once every blue moon at a new at a Russell Kingdom and then at some of these like like the MetLife Dome shows or whatever else and they're like all right so we have this belt they are you know that company that we bring these women in from yeah all right they're gonna have this new belt that's a part of us now uh but it's not their belts they still have their two belts wait what so I can see it be more confused from that side and like that's where you see most confusion from domestically but after a certain amount of time I think people after once or twice it'll be over with and it'll be, it'll be one of those things where it's like, you know, uh, it's not that I, I get all that. And it's, I think it's the fact that it's titled IWGP and what that represents. I think that's maybe a misstep because if you're going to have a belt that let's face it should be hypothetically subordinated 
to those other belts and it should be its own sort of unique thing. They shouldn't have, they shouldn't have like marketed it as IWGP. And I'm guessing that was probably some sort of, you know, Bushi road or new Japan management decision. Uh, I just think that that's a misstep because I think that that could create potentially that, that conflict, you know, yeah, it could, it, it could. I, I just don't think it'll be that big of a deal at the end of it. Like, I mean, uh, okay, so the red belt and the white belt, like obviously the uh, the red belt is more prestigious and is normally considered the uh, the top title. There have been times when the white belt has been the top title, depending on like you know, depending on who's held it in the situation with the belt, right? So it's not it's not you know it's not you know that thing where like people are going to start actually wondering who's the real world real, real women's world champion in Japan. I don't think that's ever going to come up, not in a serious way. Gotcha. Uh, we also had a question here from front of the show, Zach Porter. He says, which foreign talent do you see eventually pulling a Brock Lesnar with the new women's title? <laughs> does, does he normally, ta- does, he, does, does Zach normally message y'all to troll? Yes. No, just only when there's women's titles involved. Okay. Um, Sasha. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that a Sasha-ass thing to do? Yeah. No, but it was so good to say, though. <laughs> um, I don't know, because women's wrestling don't really work like that in this stage of the game. Like, you got to kind of be old school to kind of, you know, um, kind of, you know, thug it out like that. Um, I, uh, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm going to say Brit just to be funny. Just like how you said, Sasha, I'm going to say Brit to be funny. Oh, yeah, that, can you imagine how mad people furious are? Yes. rage uh, Britt Baker like held the title captive <laughs> who's the TNT champion Jade Cargo uh, Jade yeah hey, what if Jade did some shit like that <laughs> y'all need to pay me more money <laughs> that'd be funny <laughs> oh my gosh oh man so moving on um, this past week NJPW Strong High Alert Night 2 aired on New Japan World uh, we saw J.R. Kratos as he defeated Drew Adler, four minutes and 43 seconds. Uh, really good television singles match as Dax Hardwood defeated Rocky Romero by submission, 10 minutes and 26 seconds. And then in the main event, one of the better strong matches of all time, El Desperado defeated Blake Christian and Hiromu Takahashi, 19 minutes and 19 seconds. Yeah, really uh, fun show. Kratos. Nice little squash over Drew Adler. That was supposed to be a match against Coughlin, but Coughlin is hurt. Um, so they're kind of keeping Kratos hot while Coughlin heals up. Uh, Dax Harwood and Rocky, that kind of continued on from the uh, match from Forbidden Door. And Rocky kind of wanted to prove himself. Uh, so fun matchup. I wish Rocky would have won. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, the main event with Despy, Blake Christian, and Hiromu. Really fun, high-flying main event. Um, Blake Christian was subbing in for Clark Connors, who's also out with an injury uh, right now. And, yeah, fun fun three-way match. Despy getting the win here. Despy wants Blake Christian to show up in the Super Juniors. Yeah. But this was shot before he signed a dual deal with, like, ROH slash AEW. So, who knows? Yeah. I didn't know that happened. I'm glad that actually happened. That, I like Blake Christian. That was reported. I mean, I don't know. Ah, uh, okay. Oh, by the way, Josh, is Dax Harwood, not Hardwood. Dax hardwood. hardwood 
Dax Hardwood. Dax Hardwood is porn is a porn name. You stop this now. Dax Hardwood is a porn name. <laughs> the, the 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 extra D will make it definitely a porn name. You know, I yeah. always say it hardwood and like I just, I say I, it I on purpose, hoping oh, like no one ever has no one's ever called. <laughs> NJPW Strong will return this coming Saturday, high alert episode three, as Kushida and Renarita take on the work horsemen of JD Drake and Anthony Henry. Mascara Dorado will take on TJP in a grudge match. And then Kevin Knight and the DKC will wrestle the Heat Seekers, Matt Sigmund and Elliot Russell. We had a question here. MJ does PR said, WWE stinks so bad that Kushida is so under. I forgot he was even back. What in the world do you guys do with this guy? Well, I mean, he is the number one contender for the junior <laughs> title. <laughs> uh, they're repackaging him. They got to be. I, I, I remember hearing about like there was an idea of a repackaging, wasn't there? I think what you do is you do a Bob Holly. You put the title on him. And he beats, and then he beats everybody. everybody. <laughs> no, uh, the, the repackaging thing, there was a report that he was pitching that, but he has come out publicly and refuted it. So everyone has said that those uh, reports were false. My answer mm, to that is, okay. you know, he's a wrestler. Wrestlers lie. So who knows, but he probably does need a repackage at this point. Yeah, big time. So that's going to do it for that. Let's jump into the news very briefly. Uh, NJPW Rumble on 44th Street will take place at the Palladium Times Square on Friday, October 28th. The pay-per-view will include wrestlers from NJPW sister promotion, Stardom. They will be in action. And uh, the tickets went on sale uh, just a couple days ago, and they sold out virtually instantly. So one has to wonder... Did they pick a, a venue that was a little too conservative? Seems like that might be the case. Uh, Good Brothers, Doc Ellis and Carl Anderson have been added to NJPW Strong Autumn Attack lineup Sunday, September 11th. So they'll be you'll be hearing the devil. <laughs> <laughs> Thursday at uh, 10 o'clock, 9 central action from G1 Climax 32 continues on Access TV with a pair of bouts from Osaka's Etienne Arena, Jay White versus The Great Okan, and Osprey versus Shingo. If you haven't seen Osprey versus Shingo, you definitely want to see that there. Uh, the NJPW Strong Openweight Tag Team Champions Aussie Open will be facing the Motor City Machine Guns in a dream match at Impact's Lone Star Stampede on August 26th. Um, also, in other news, the Great Okan makes his Noah debut on September 3rd as a teammate with Great Muda in his last Osaka match. So um, they will be taking on to be determined. But, uh, you know, there is obviously uh, he's going to be Great Muda and the Great Okan teaming up once ever. So uh, Sunday's NJPW Strong Fighting Spirit Unleashed tapings in Hollywood. There was a. Uh, Kind of an interesting um, thing here. If you don't want the spoilers, this is a spoiler. But uh, Chris Dickinson made a surprise return to the promotion by attacking Fred Rosser. Earlier this month, Dickinson had uh, filed a defamation lawsuit against Von Erie and Coulter, his two um, uh, the two the two women that were alleging abuse against him um, as victims. Um, he's they, he's saying that the allegations of abuse are false and have had detrimental impact on his wrestling career as a result with NJPW no longer booking him. Uh, Von Arian Coulter responded in a statement saying that everything they've spoken out against is 100% true. 
and that they will continue to stand their ground in the court of law. So when he did make that surprise uh, reappearance, reemergence, the crowd was hot and not hot in like a, a fake way. Like they were fuming and booing this guy vehemently. He seemed to act very viscerally by pulling back the guards and um, the ring guard and challenging anybody in the audience to come and actually literally shoot fight him, uh, whether he's just playing into it or not. Um, this has kind of been a little under the radar, but also controversial that New Japan has still continued to use Chris Dickinson in light of the allegations and the ongoing uh, proceedings. So, yeah. Do you guys have any thoughts on that or no? Do you want me to move on? I mean, I just say I, I think it's, again, we've seen these situations what like speaking out and New Japan trying to bring back certain people. And I think they should have waited until the court case was done and there was some kind of court ruling that, all right, yeah, this guy is clear, even though, I mean, obviously the court system not perfect, but at least, at least have some kind of like backing of, all right, yeah, the courts didn't do it. So we're going to book him. But I think one thing, one thing with the, uh, uh, countersuit or, you know, um, lawsuit that Chris Dickinson has brought up. He is doing it in the state of New Jersey where none of them live. Um, which has made it exponentially more difficult for the uh, alleged victims to actually defend themselves in a state that they don't actually live in. So that's just one thing I want to throw out there. Moving on, um, this past uh, Friday night at Arena Mexico, they did their uh, Grand Prix Cybernetico, which was won by Volador. Um, there was also New Japan representation as Rocky Romero, um, Tiger Mask 4 and Will and uh Robbie Eagles were participants in the match. He last eliminated, I believe, Tiger Mask to win this tournament. So it, it looks like it came down to Eagles and Tiger Mask, who teamed together as Flying Tiger. They probably formed some sort of union. Uh they had eliminated uh what's in car's name now? Uh Mystico. Uh Mrs. They eliminated Mystico and it came down to them versus Volador, and he had to basically beat both of them to win the cybernetico tournament um this past week as well will osprey lost his rev pro title to ricky knight jr on night two of the 10 year anniversary hearing great things about that match as well as the match he had the night prior versus um speedball wrestle speedball Speedball um also this past week kento miyahara beat uh yuji nagata in the semifinals of the royal road semifinal tournament Kenta Miyahara did go on to win that tournament and will be challenging for the All Japan Triple Crown title. Um, and Satoshi Kojima is currently leading his block in the N1 victory. I think he's got eight points. So he's only lost one match and he's beaten everybody else. So kind of surprising, but maybe not considering he is a former champion just recently. And on September 12th, there was an announcement of Taka Taichi Despi Mania, which will be on pay-per-view which uh, that full card is posted and looks pretty interesting. Uh, so let's kick it over to questions and recommend a match of the week and get out of here. Yeah, so there's a quick, some few quick questions here. So Barry Wall says, can Josh find out what Aaron Hanare's trainer does to train? No. <laughs> uh, the Dark Soldier says, last week you guys told me that Haku and Scott Norton are Bull Club members, so that raises another question. Why aren't Haku and Scott Bull Club's main tag team? They're already better than Fale and Chase. And they would easily <laughs> plow through the division and make everyone their bitches. Uh, well, I think the biggest question is, 
is New Japan willing to pay them the kind of money that they would want to come out here and do that? Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. Uh, Hawaiian Punch VV, thoughts on Usyk Joshua 2. Also, what do you think about Joshua's post-fight meltdown? Why do you think people are so quick to count him and his legacy out when he could still make it up with wins over Wilder and Fury? Hall of Famer Shane Mosley lost to Vermont Forrest twice in a row and still had a great career. Yeah, the, the fight was great. I was obviously incorrect in thinking Joshua was going to rebound and win. Um, he did do many of the things that I thought he would do and kind of come in with a stronger game plan and, and adjustment. But uh, it just wasn't enough to beat, you know, Usyk, who is objectively the better fighter. And Usyk pretty much cruised to a what should have been unanimous decision. The judging was fucking weird. Um but yeah, that's twice that Joshua couldn't hang with a guy that's legitimately a cruiserweight. Um, so that's not really great for his legacy. Uh, he did have a post-fight meltdown, one of the more bizarre things I've ever seen, uh, watching fighting, and uh, it was kind of actually very embarrassing, to be honest with you. Uh, as far as Joshua's like legacy, you know, he's beaten more tough and top-ranked heavyweights than any of his other contemporaries, more than Fury or Wilder, that's for sure. And he's taken very, very tough fights, and he's rebounded and, you know, beaten guys that have beaten him in the past. He beat uh, uh, Vladimir Klitschko. That's all well and good. But at the end of the day, like, he's not going to be considered at the same level as Wilder and Fury, and part of it's because he's not as talented as them, he's not as skilled as them, and I, I really, really don't think he would win in a fight against either of those two guys. And I can think of a couple other heavyweights I think he'd have a lot of trouble with. And Usyk was one of them. So um, I think he's going to be remembered as like a top guy from this division and this time. But he's more of a top athlete who happens to box than a elite fighter. You know what I mean? And uh, comparing him to Shane Mosley is not quite the same thing. Shane Mosley was like a prodigy who you know, was transcendent in the sport at one time. And, you know, Anthony Joshua is more like a, a celebrity top star in Britain, but he's not a great fighter. He also asked, where were you when Leon Edwards made his legendary comeback? The whole thing was like a movie. He had to fight against the politics of UFC matchmakers, fan backlash, Masvidal and Nate Diaz showing him up and Usman. Were people counting out his chances in a rubber match, especially after his good first round in Salt Lake City's altitude, sapping up almost every fighter's energy. Did you guys see this fight? I did not. No, no, but I heard about it. Yeah, so, I mean, the basic gist of it was Leon Edwards, he is a guy that he's kind of been like the boogeyman in the division. Like, he's been a guy who didn't have a lot of markability. He didn't have a name that um, if you beat him would do much for you, but he's so freaking good that no one wanted to fight him because he would probably beat you and hurt you, and there's not a lot of upside if you did beat him. Um and that's kind of been the story. And so like the matchmakers have not done a lot of favors for him over the years. He, he has had to face a lot of politics. He probably should have had a title shot a while ago and it never happened. And finally set of circumstances showed up. Here he is. He's fighting Usman. He did great in the first round. And then for the remainder of the fight, Usman just dominated him. Even in the fifth and final round, Usman was still winning and he set it up and he hit him with a, a gigantic head kick that just knocked the dude unconscious. It came out of nowhere. Pretty shocking. Like this is probably the most shocking finish since like Anderson Silva choked out Chael Sonnen, uh, you know, several years ago. So I don't really give him a, a big chance in the rematch. I do think that the, uh, you know, the, the altitude was 
literally affecting almost every fighter. But um, Usman didn't really seem to be too affected by it at all. And that just kind of tells you what kind of gas tank he has. And he's kind of a special fighter. I expect him to come back and like, I think he's going to fuck up Edwards. Look, I I didn't see the fight, but basically what you said is everything I've heard. Um, He stopped him with what, like 50 something seconds left the match. There's like a minute left. Yeah. 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 So, you know, and you know, it makes me also think of like, you know, famous times, the, the bigger star fighter ended up getting caught by somebody in a bad situation, whatever else. And then, Immediate rematch, they beat the shit out of them. Think Matt like Sarah, DSP. I mean Pena and Nunez. Yeah. Yeah. Just just happened. Like Nune, like Pena just had to get like plastic surgery right. on her face. Yeah. After what Nunez did in the rematch. Right. And that even that's not even just UFC, like that's that's fighting in general. Like think of Lennox, think of Lewis and, and Rockman. And Rockman. Rockman. That's a that's yeah. a great analogy yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, look, I I'm not saying that obviously you put him down so you can put him down again, right? But we saw what what people saw what most of that fight was. And it was for the most part, one guy being the guy until he got caught with something and not to say he can't get caught again, but right. you, you run that over again and he puts, and he keep, you know, and he puts that in the back of his mind that he can get knocked down by that dude and drops. Chances are you're going to run it back again. And chances are the results are going to be what most of that, those five rounds were. Now there, there was a group chat, I, I, uh, the chat that we're all part of, where I was discussing this with some of the guys that you know follow UFC a little bit more uh, radically, and I did tell them there is a chance that this could happen because of all the great fighters of all time that I've ever known in the UFC, I've never heard of any great fighter that's as banged up consistently as uh, Kamaru Usman. Uh, this is a guy who like literally avoids walking on cement and walks on the grass because his knees, his back and his neck are so shot. He can't even walk upstairs straight. He walks upstairs backwards to take pressure off of his knees. And he never ever trains at full capacity in sparring. If he does spar at all, uh, because he's literally deteriorated so much physically over the years from wrestling that he says when he does spar, which is, pretty light they only go 50 percent. they're just practicing touching each other so you know this is a situation where like we see guys get old overnight he didn't show all those signs here but i gotta wonder if like the usman from a year or two ago wouldn't have run through leon Uh, edwards and then when you talked about like this thing like you know all it takes a certain number of times to get hit in the jaw and then you're just a totally different fighter and i mean this touched him bad he got hurt bad he yeah, was down Ed- on his face. He was down on his back bad. The thing though, too, is Edwards, sure, his gas tank might not be as good as Usman's, but he was he won the first round and he is a guy that's given everybody he's fought a lot of trouble. So who knows? We'll see what happens. But I, if I were to bet, I'd bet on Usman coming back strong the second time. I'm with you. Nice. So let's close real quick with recommended match of the week. So last week for the excursion recommendation, I recommended Josh to watch Rocky Romero. First speedball, Mike Bailey from August 12th episode of Impact. Yeah, so this is a match that um, was uh, better than I expected it to be. Not because I was um, I have any doubt about the principles involved. Obviously, speedball is having an incredible year. And Rocky's kind of this utility player where he's not going to win many big matches when you plug him into these other companies. But it doesn't matter where you send them, whether it's MLW or AEW or CMLL or 
what have you. Like he's wrestling everywhere. And when he goes in, he just has fantastic matches with everybody that he wrestles. So that's no surprise, but I didn't hear a lot about this match. There wasn't much buzz about it. Even on cage match, the ratings weren't super high, but then I watched it and you know what? This was incredible for a 12 minute TV match. You know, this was a really, really high end level 12 minute TV match. It, in some ways, kind of reminded me of like Osprey and Dax Harwood, which I thought was like vastly overrated. I think this is a little underrated. I'd probably go, if they had more time, I'd definitely go over four stars. They were trending to definitely do over four. I probably just based on what was there, give it like three and three quarters. So it was highly recommended, very enjoyable. Is it going to be something that should be on the uh, recommend, you know, excursion match of the year list come award season? No, but if you got 12 minutes, it's for free. It's on new Japan world. And considering the year that speedball's having and like the awesome defenses he's having with this X division title, you might want to check it out. It's really, really good. Nice. Uh, then for recommended match of the week, you recommended Naito versus Elgin from New Beginning in Osaka 2017. And what an awesome match that was. Um, yep. you know, obviously, Elgin is in the news cycle for other stuff, but it's just kind of crazy to remember. It was what a great wrestler that Elgin was. And uh, it kind of reminded me of Jonah and Okada, just the way the crowd was reacting to the way Elgin was throwing Naito around, the way like Jonah was throwing Okada around. And um, at this point, you know, Naito was really leaning into that ungovernable heel Naito, spitting at the fans. Fans were really booing him and just a high impact. Elgin was throwing this guy around, the Super Falcon arrow, the, the big German suplexes, like, and then Naito was, like, spamming Destinos, like, off of everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, yeah, like, Kevin Kelly did, like, 10 Destino calls, uh, yeah, it's just great matchup. Don Callis on commentary. Uh, really fun matchup. Naito, or I'm uh, forgetting now who actually won. I think it was Elgin won the match. No, no, Naito won. He, uh, no, Naito wins. Yeah, Naito wins. I don't. I'm it's for the white belt. That's right. Yeah, I'm so much wrestling to remember. But yes, yeah, Naito won. Uh, Destino at the end there, reversing out of the uh, the Elgin bomb. But yeah, fun matchup. Fun matchup. What, what ring would you go? Uh, I mean, I'd probably like. Four and a half to four and three quarters. Wow, inflation. They <laughs> went five at the time. <laughs> but, you know, shit probably is better than it was back then. Yeah. So what you got for an excursion match this week? Uh, for this week, I just f- figured we keep it simple. Uh, there's a lot of great matches coming up that should be available on tape shortly. So this week, we've got the trios tournament on Wednesday night tomorrow between United Empire and Death Triangle. Let's go. Obviously it hasn't happened yet, but that's going to be easily accessible. It's going to be fantastic. So that is the assignment. <laughs> then for a recommended match of the week, since we've, we're talking a lot about Will Ospreay and Kenny Omega, let's run it back to December 15th, 2018, Roto Tokyo Dome, Golden Lovers, Kenny Omega, Kota Ibushi first. Roshi Tanahashi and Will Ospreay. That near five-star match for Tanahashi didn't do shit. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of the greatest tag team matches ever, and Tanahashi's just there, very, like, doing nothing. Like, he's preserving himself for the dome. Smart man. (laughs) 
Well, James, thanks for uh, joining us this week to break down G1, talk about the historic crossover. Uh, let the listeners know where they can find you online. Oh, you can find me on Twitter at One Nation Radio, uh, the podcast One Nation Radio, also a part of the Soul Suplex Podcast Network with Keeping the Strong Style, of course. You can find that at One Nation Radio on Twitter. Um, you know, and, you know, listen to our show. We talk about pretty much anything that comes to my decision over the week of pro wrestling. Um, so, but mostly it's AEW and stardom. Yeah, if you guys are not listening to One Nation Radio, you're doing yourself a disservice. One of the best wrestling podcasts that's out there. And I'm not even saying that just because they're my friends, but like legit, like we need to blow this shit up because uh, it's it's our time. You know what I'm saying? These are good shows. Like do yourself <laughs> a favor, listen to it, send a donation. You know what I'm saying? And they're getting ready to celebrate their 10-year uh, anniversary. And I know you guys are collecting uh, audio messages. If you want to show some love, to One Nation Radio, send your uh, audio messages over to Rich at rich at socialsuplex.com. Uh, two minutes or less, and let's help these guys celebrate 10 years of One Nation Radio, 10 years of ripping the trash into bits. Yeah, and James, we'll definitely have to have you back because uh, when this um, stardom show happens, we're not going to be able to offer much. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's fine. It's just, you know, I, I you know, as I mentioned before when it was first announced, like I have certain demands for, for coming on for that. And of course, you know, me and Rich have to get together to come up with, you know, the proper theme music to intro me in on. And uh we can get that we can get it going. But I will oh, say, like do we hit the music? Oh yeah, you have to hit the <laughs> music to intro me in on that one. Yeah. Yeah, because like, you know, given the year that stardom has had, um, or you know, year and a half, whatever you want to call it, and like some of the malaise around New Japan Pro Wrestling and like I could easily see like, you know, someone like Will Ospreay, he knows better. But like I see a lot of people like in some of these like matches kind of just being like, eh, I'm not really I'm not you know, I'm not really up for this. I don't really care. I don't really want to be here, blah, blah, blah. And they come out here and, you know, they have their good three and plus star match, whatever else. And then like I start them on a big match situation like they're going to go they're going to bring it and like if they fuck around and if they fuck around and do what i think is going to happen like it, it will it will be time for me to play you know play the trumpets and horns and, and talk <laughs> tons of cash shit about start about performing new japan if new japan doesn't uh do their part so um well, I, already yeah, heard like, your, I heard your comment this week where you accidentally called the g1 the the grand prix and then you're like oh well i guess that was a mistake but that's uh at this point a compliment to call him that <laughs> Hey, uh, okay, so like I watched, the, I watched the whole G one in its in its um all entirety. together, right? In its entirety, and I I thought like watching the next uh, Grand Prix show, I was gonna be like, it's gonna be a problem. But like the next show, like a Corrigan Hall, where he put like eleven matches on, and is basically like, hey, you got ten minutes. It's a singles match. You're in Corrigan Hall. It's one of your biggest show singles matches that you're going to get all year. And everybody's went off and decided like, hey, let's go have a have a sprint for to get to four stars in in ten minutes or you know three or three quarters. And it was a blast. Um, so so yeah, like there's a there's one right now. I'm looking at their at my average match star rating right now. Like Mirai just came from Tokyo Joshi Pro. She's five matches in. I've given four of her matches four flat stars. So yeah. And there are a lot of people that are on the, you know, the kind of the Naito fandom stuff that like don't don't like her or pretend she's not good. So, yeah, like that's kind of what Stardom is doing. And they're I don't think there's another promotion that's better at like, you know, sub 14 minute matches. I just don't. 
like it's just a style thing. It just is like they go, go, go. Nice. Well, looking forward to the historic crossover and seeing how the IWGB women's title plays into the future of both stardom and new Japan pro wrestling. So uh, next week we'll be back to uh, continue to preview the burning spirit tour. And I'm sure I'll probably have some more matches announced for the uh, declaration of power coming up in October. So if you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuitflex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KISTrongStyle. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan. Follow the network at socialsuitflex. On Facebook, we're facebook.com slash socialsuitflex. On Instagram, we are at socialsuitflex. On Reddit, I'm the pro black guy. Just keeping it strong style. You can email me, jeremy at socialsuitflex.com. Check all the other shows that we have here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network, One Nation Radio with Rich Latta and James Boyd. The Grave Consequences hosted by Caleb and Maserati. All Things Elite with Floyd and Austin. The AEW Match Guide podcast hosted by Sir Sam. And the Great Match Generator hosted by Danny Kukler. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping a Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Itchy Bond. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.